wait a second. Slicky? Mitchie, what, what are you doing here? What am I doing here? Wait a second. You're, you're not Hotshot Scott. No, I'm definitely not. You're Slicky. You're not Hotshot Scott. There are a couple key differences. <laughs> Episode 167. I'm not going to go into those differences. I'll leave that to you. We don't have Hotshot Scott. You might be wondering, where is Hotshot Scott? I'm wondering where is Hotshot Scott. He was told in no uncertain terms... That he was not to co-host episode 167 of Mitch Unfiltered because it is his wife's birthday. Okay. So no hosting podcasts (laughs) on wives' birthdays. All right. So ladies and gentlemen, we went to the bullpen. He was having a rocky start anyway. He was having trouble finding the strike zone. He he couldn't. (laughs) He was hanging the curveball. And uh-huh. look what I found. I found a guy wearing an authentic, brand new Kraken oh, yeah. sweater. Look at, that. look at that. Which I'm also wearing. Yes, you are. We are in uniform. We are in Mitch Unfiltered Kraken uniform with the patch. Let's make yeah, sure we make the inaugural season the patch. Inaugural there it is. season patch. Yes, we are both in position. And looking very good, don't you think? I love it. Thank you. Thank you very much. This is outstanding. Well, don't thank me. Thank Jay at Seattle Shirt Company. Thank you, Jay at Seattle Shirt Company. Thank you very much. Uh, I love this. It's my very first hockey sweater I've ever had, and uh, and and it's for the Kraken. Yes, and here is. we are. There you go. We and we'll get to the uh, the reason why we're wearing them on episode 167. Because the, they look great. Yes, they look great. And and the <laughs> offer that we have for Mitch Unfiltered patrons as uh. well is coming up shortly. But first, we've got to... You've never done this before. We've got to do... We, we've got stuff to do, business to take care of yeah. before so we start the, the show. This is the tease, right? This is the... I've, I've heard about this tease. I've heard there have been a lot of meetings about the tease. Have you a added A lot of some, rules, yeah. what we can do and can't do in the tease. Yeah, that's true. Which I, I don't know how you stick to those <laughs> after what we've seen this weekend. But, I mean, we, uh. we just need to cancel football in the oh. northwest just cancel the whole sport including the duckies done. right i'm done with it all yeah oh yeah oh cancel that too oh the duckies we'll get to the duckies but anyway <laughs> okay. i got to get some business taken care of before we start the show okay you know about that before we start the before show, we yes. start the show <laughs> uh subscribe to mitch unfiltered on any major podcast platform rate and review us i'm supposed to say that on every show okay. which i have for 167 shows or more yeah you can become a patron. Now, there's the, the, the regular reasons to pay $5 a month and become a patron to get all the extra content like Slickhawk every week and Danny O'Neill every week and, and Seahawks No Table and all kinds of extra content. But I'm going to give patrons a holiday season reason. Can you say that? A holiday season reason. A holiday a season reason. I yes. Like we are going to give them the opportunity to get their hands on one of these personalized, uh. authentic Seattle Kraken yes. sweaters. Are we calling yes. them sweaters or are we calling them jerseys? Sweaters. 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 We're going the whole way. All right. You can become a patron, $5 a month, as if all the extra shows are not reason enough. Here's another reason, hockey fans, by going to MitchUnfiltered.com. That's the second order of business that I have to get through before we start the show. Now, the other okay. order of business is Beat the Boys. As you know, I give out three games and a code word. How mm-hmm. did you do this week? In the three, 
It was a brutal little week. Oh, come on. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm backsliding. No, you're my savior. You know that. I'm backsliding. What happened? I don't know. What happened to the Packers this week? I really thought the Cowboys were going to beat the Chiefs. I really thought I had that nail. No, No, that didn't happen. Yeah, not a good week. I I went 3-0. Did you? I did. I don't know what that says, though, (laughs) because I really thought that this should have been like three layup picks and it didn't work out that way. So the fact that you swept them all, I don't know what that says about football and and about (laughs) my knowledge. (laughs) Well, I've got good news and I've got bad news. I went three and oh in the beat the boys. Uh But my fantasy football team that nobody cares about except for me, of course, I care about it. We went up against a guy named Jonathan Taylor today. Ooh. One, two, three, four touchdowns. One more. On the ground, right? Oh. One through the air. <laughs> I don't know. Five to- All I know is he scored 49 points Ooh. against me. Yeah. That's, that's not, not good. a good. No, that's, that's not, not good. good. That's not good. Yeah. Uh, so that was not a good fantasy football league week. All right, beat the boys. Beat the boys. I got three games for, me, for you. For I guess it'll be weekend number 12. And I've got a code word for you. And we always do that in the tease section before we start the show. Right. Uh, game one will be the Titans at the Patriots. Ooh. Week two will be the Vikings at the Niners. These are good games. And and game three will be the Rams at the Packers. These are good games. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Trying to make it hard on the people. I am trying to make it hard on the peeps. Okay. Now you need a code word. And there's an obvious code word. That would be turkey, (laughs) which I have a turkey for a co-host on episode 167. (laughs) But turkey is the code word. So there you go. That's what I wanted to get through. Now, the other thing that I wanted to discuss before we start the show. Before we start the show. Is I spent my first ever evening at the Climate Pledge Arena on Friday night with the Seattle Kraken. And I was thinking... I think it's my fifth ever NHL game. I think I've been to a couple in Boston and a mm-hmm. couple in Buffalo because Buffalo was near Syracuse. So we went to see yeah. the Sabres play, but my first ever cracking game. And you've already been, you went, did you go to opening night? No, 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 no. I haven't been. I haven't been yet. Oh, I haven't been yet. Have you been in the new arena yet? I have not. You have not been in the new. Oh, where, no, do, I, where do I begin? This is what, this is what I need. I need to Let, hear this. Where do I begin? Where How do I begin? It? How is it? What do you want to know first? The experience, the Kraken experience or the arena? The arena. The arena. Spectacular. Yeah. Now, I, I, I must admit, I got there a little late. We got there just in time for the dropping of the puck, as they like mm-hmm. to say. We were having dinner. <laughs> so we didn't really explore. I didn't walk around the arena like I should have and explored all the nooks and crannies and all the fun. But the arena that I saw for three hours on on Friday night was beautiful, and it's not going to be difficult to close your eyes and and visualize an NBA basketball team playing in that. Uh, arena. It's, beautiful. it's beautiful. They did a they did a fant- From what I can tell, they did a fantastic job. You know, I, I'd prefer the team to play in its own NBA only arena in sure. po- in um, in Soto, but this is a they, they did a spectacular job. So hats when off you're to looking everybody. around, do yes. you? I mean, are you thinking to yourself, "Wow, this was this used to be Key Arena," or are you just yeah. is it so different that that you're just like, "Oh no, you forget." I, I think in the bowl when you're in the at, when you're in there with the uh, with the with they call it a rink. Is it an ice rink? No, 
It's not an ice rink. Yes, it's, it's an ice rink. Is it? Yeah. It's yeah, a rink? Sure. When you're yeah. in there, yes, I felt like I was in Key... A, a little bit, I felt like I was in Key Arena. But mm-hmm. when you're in the concourses... Yeah. No, it doesn't look... I mean, nothing like it. Zero, okay. Zero... Zero relating to the Key Arena when you're outside. When you're inside, it's a... You know, it's a... I was reminiscing back to my my days as the uh, the reporter for the... The sideline reporter for the Seattle Suns. So that's my my review of the arena was it was special, spectacular, wonderful, and okay. an NBA team could come there in a second if an NBA owner wants to share a facility with a hockey guy and not right. have his own digs and all that stuff. We we don't have to get right. to the politics involved. Now, now how about the Kraken experience? I really, really enjoyed it. Okay. My wife loved it. She grew up going to hockey in Washington, D.C., going to see the Capitals play. Mm-hmm. My oldest son, Max, liked it a lot. My younger son, who's a sophomore in high school, Brett, didn't love it. He thought it was a little slow, and he was a little bit bored. He liked it, but didn't love it. All right. And I thought it was really cool. I thought I thought the experience was very fun. Yeah. A, a million times better than watching it on the television. You can follow the puck. Sure. Now, I went to a game. <laughs> Oh, you went to Friday night's game. They were seven nothing down before I had a sip of my soda. For God's sake, it was terrible. I mean, they were they, and I don't know anything. I don't know anything about the nuances of hockey. I think I know enough. Well, I to think get you know by. seven nothing is a, is not good. No, they weren't coming back from seven nothing. They did score three in the third period to make it a seven three game against uh, uh, the Colorado Avalanche. I kept on calling the Avalanche. I kept yeah. on calling them the Denver Avalanche. But uh, the Colorado Avalanche. But yeah, no, no, they, they, I, I don't, I don't suspect they're very good, right? Is that the conclusion? No, they're, they're not super great. <laughs> anybody who had the thought, anybody who had the thought that like, oh, well, the Golden Knights, they came about, and you know, they went to the Stanley Cup Finals their first year. Anybody who was who was hoping for that kind of magic, that's no. that's not what's happening here in Seattle <laughs> with the Kraken. That's I'm no. sorry to disappoint no. you. No, but everybody was so excited to be in there, and you could just feel. You know, expansion, excitement. Now, I will say this, and I said this on a previous show, and I'll say it to you. I would say we sat in good seats, Mm -hmm. not great seats. We were in the lower bowl. We were about 15 rows up in the corner behind the goal, okay? Mm -hmm. They were $140 a seat, ticket price. It was $560 to take my family of four to see their first Kraken game. Now I was NHL. NHL is expensive. That's what I've always heard. But I'm I hearing, always heard NHL was oh, expensive. But I'm hearing that this is more expensive than most NHLs. Well, I'm sure it is. I mean, it's the it's the new thing, right? Yeah, so it, it makes sense. It makes sense. There's a lot of demand for it. I think. So. I'm happy to pay it. Yeah. I, I don't know how often I would be happy to pay because I'm not a hockey guy. Right. I can't see going to two or three more games with the whole family and paying five hundred and sixty dollars to do it. I, I, what does concern me is it's a new sport for the for the Northwest. How does a family of four? Now mm-hmm. I know there's there's less expensive tickets, a little bit higher, but but for the most part, it is an expensive, and that doesn't include the fourteen dollar bowl of mac and cheese that Brett had, <laughs> fourteen bucks for mac and cheese. Yeah, it's a it's not an inexpensive evening at yeah. the Kraken. That's for yeah. sure. Well, you know, I, I think those families might be saving money uh, on Seahawks tickets here pretty soon. <laughs> I think maybe the price is going to come down on those. So oh. it all evens out. I'd like to go back and I will go back. 
I think I'll probably do it a different way. Somebody told me that you can get on like NHL ticket exchange right before the game. If you wait right up until game time, sometimes the prices come down and mm-hmm. you can get you can get in for a little bit of a lesser. So it was a very, very expensive evening, but it was a fun evening. And good, I would, good. and I did wear my new authentic Kraken sweater with it yeah. personalized Mitchie the yeah. kid on the back. I, yeah. wore, I wore a jacket over the back. <laughs> but you had the jersey in the front. People could see the jersey, jersey in the front. Jersey in the front, but no Mitchie okay. the Kid showing. I couldn't do that. I wasn't I mean, going to do could. that. I, I didn't want to do that could. to my family. I didn't. I, I, wanted, I wanted to keep them safe on Friday night at the Climate Pledge Arena. So it was, it was really fun. It was really That's fun. Great. Are you planning on going? Do you have oh, any, yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you have we, don't have, we don't have tickets for any games yet, but we're going to. Oh. Uh, we're very excited about it. I can't wait. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. So I'm pumped. It was I'm pumped. It was fun. It was really yeah. fun. And I'd like to go back, although I'd like to go back for about half the price sure. that, I went, <laughs> that I went. Now, the other thing, and I can't believe we still haven't started the show before we begin the show, which I guess the first segment, will you and I will whine and cry and scream and shout about the Seahawks loss to the Cardinals. And, and then the other stuff segment, we'll do all the other fun stuff. I do want to bring up, because people have been asking, how do they get their hands on these jerseys that we're yes. wearing? These sweaters. Okay, let me go through it for you real quickly. I don't know that I can do it real quickly, but I'll do the best <laughs> that I can. Okay. I'll do it. So my buddy, I have a longtime buddy named Jay, and I'm going to tell you a very funny story about him. All right. He owns the Seattle shirt company that's down on First and Pike. Okay. Okay. They have a second store down down in there in Seattle. They've got a store in Leavenworth. They're getting oh, yeah. ready to get another store in Leavenworth. They do very very well, and somehow some way. He was able to arrange an exclusive deal, and I'm not sure who it was with, Fanatics or somebody like that, Mm -hmm. where he and the Kraken are the only local people, local places, where you can get an authentic Kraken sweater and then personalize it. Really? You pick the number, you pick the name, you can have a player, a player's number, a player's name, you could have your own. I'm wearing number 32. A lot of people are wearing 32. You're wearing 32. Yes, I am. Um, I've got Mitchie the Kid on the back. What do you have on the back? Uh, I just got Nicholas back there. You got Nicholas back there? Yeah. You didn't want Slickhawk, right? Got the old last name. No, you know, I got the... I asked you if you wanted Slickhawk. I know. I, was, I thought about it. I thought about it. I was like, yeah. What am Why? I, 37? What, what, what I'm happened? 37 now? What happened? What do you mean, what happened? Are you no longer Slickhawk? You know, I'm 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 older and, and wiser, more mature, you know? <laughs> you I'm can still be. My own, can't you my be... own name on my personalized jersey as an adult. How about on the show? Am I allowed to call you Slicky? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I see. It's in the open on, the, on our segment together. Okay, I said okay. you call me whatever you want. Okay. So he calls me, Jay calls me, and he says, I've got this exclusive arrangement with whomever, the NHL fanatics, whoever it is, to do these personalized jerseys. We do them down on First and Pike. It takes an hour to do them. You tell us what name you want. You get the patch, you know, the the inaugural season patch. It's a really beautiful home jersey, right? If there's one thing they did right, they did the jersey right. The jersey is spectacular. And it's the holiday season, and he says to me, Mitch, how do I get the word? I want to get the word out that I'm doing this. I mean, these aren't inexpensive items. These are, you know, this is the authentic jersey. Sure. And I said to him, well, go advertise on KJR. Go advertise on, go advertise on 710 ESPN. Go advertise on the Seattle Times. Go, go spend some money. Stop being a cheapskate. You have enough money. And, go. and he said, what about Mitch Unfiltered? And I said, well, I'm not, you're my friend. I'm not going to take your money. You can't advertise. He said, so what can I do to get the word? I said, I'll, t- I'll do a deal with you. I don't want any of your money 
Typically, I would, you know, it would be advertising. I'm not going to take any of your money. Here's what I do. I want you to give me a good amount of these sweaters and jerseys for patrons, for listeners, at a severely reduced price. Oh, yeah. Very nice. And he said, you understand, I'll do this, but you understand there's no place you get these reduced. You don't get them reduced at Kraken stores. You don't get them com- uh, reduced at Climate Pledge. You don't get them reduced online. The authentic personalized jerseys are not re- reduced. I said, well, they're going to be reduced on Mitch Unfiltered or I'm not spreading your word on it. <laughs> and he said, okay. And so we negotiated a little bit back and forth. And here's the deal. To get a personalized jersey at the, from the Kraken at the stadium or at one of their stores, it's two hundred and seventy dollars mm-hmm. with this patch. The patch is the key, the inaugural season yes. patch, right? That you you have on yours. It's two hundred and seventy dollars. Okay. I believe that Jay at Seattle shirt on First and Pike, he's doing it at two hundred and sixty dollars. I think for the whole the whole thing for. Mitch Unfiltered patrons, he has offered us 200 jerseys. That's it. Mm -hmm. I don't have enough for every patron. He's offered us 200 jerseys at $75 off. So 30% off. They're not being discounted anywhere. That's the price that he's paying for me to give the word out that SeattleShirt.com and Seattle Shirt Company at First and Pike does these and is one of the exclusive homes to personalize a sweater. So I have 200 of them. It's a first, and I think Steve Dion already grabbed one. So I think I'm, <laughs> I think I'm down to 199 producer Steve. So it's going to be $185. You can do it one of two ways. You can go down to First and Pike and have them do it there, or you can go on the website at seattleshirt.com. To get the $75 off, you have to have the Mitchie discount code. I can't give the discount code here because right. there's non-patrons listening. Right? Everybody will just go and do it. So if you're a patron, you will see on Monday or Tuesday on Patreon.com, I will send out a, a notice. Here is the discount code that you punch in to get your $75 off at SeattleShirt.com. So a $270 item at the Kraken facility is $185 plus tax. Mm-hmm. Uh, from Seattle shirt for patrons only the first 200 that go and do it okay that, that's a that's a great deal that's really cool it's a great deal it's a great deal now the only thing you need to know is you need to know the code which I will send out to patrons and if you're not a patron by the way it only costs five dollars a month to become a patron <laughs> I think net net it might work out for you if you want to it's the holiday season these things are incredible Christmas gifts everybody was wearing I couldn't believe how many people were wearing them yeah at the uh, at the cracking game on yeah Friday. i see the pictures i see them on tv and everything right, right. i love i love this first of all stand up i, mean, I want to see it. i feel like an Turn nhl around. player is it how would i do does it fit it oh yeah God, oh, mine's God. big on me mine is a little big on me yeah mine's look oh Yo, yours is nice yeah, yeah let's turn around there. 32 yeah nicholas yeah very nice adidas yeah yeah, very so good. I feel like an NHL player. How do you think? Do you think I could just? I mean, you know, there was that story I think last year about the guy who like they ran out of goalies and then they got to yes. call in this, this guy off yes. the street. Columbus, he came in yes. off the street. Yes, yes. Could be that so guy. I'm thinking maybe I could tell the Kraken, hey, I've got a jersey, <laughs> I got a sweater. Let me be that guy. Oh, that would be funny. How would I do? 
Better than the guys they got in the goal now. Better than the <laughs> I, I think I got the understudy on Friday night. I didn't get uh, the main guy. What's the main guy's name? Grew. Grubauer. Yeah, I didn't get Grubauer. I got you the, got Dreiger. Yeah, it was like going to a Broadway show, paying <laughs> a lot of money to go see Cats, and then <laughs> and then finding that the main actress, the main star, is taking the yeah. night off, and you got the understudy. That's what happened. <laughs> All right. So I, I know that I've gone long enough. So if you want one of these authentic Kraken jerseys, and it's personalized, and you can get the again, you can get a player, you can get your own name, you can get your own number, whatever you want. I got thirty-two because that seems to be the most popular number. Um, you go to seattleshirt.com. You got to be a patron to get the, the $75 off or go to Seattle shirt down in, uh, on first and pike. Now I got to tell you just a, I know I'm out of time. I got to tell you a funny story about Jay who did this deal with the 200 shirts for our patrons. Right. And he's a longtime patron, but I got to tell this story and it's going to embarrass the hell out of him. And I don't really care. <laughs> so Jay is doing He's probably cringing right now as he listens. He's doing very well for himself. His stores do very well in Seattle. Down His store in Leavenworth is kicking ass. He's going to have another I've, store. I've been in there. I was he's, in there about a month ago. He does very, very – now he's got the exclusive on these, on these high-priced items. He's doing very, very well. And he happens to have season tickets to see the Kraken. Sure. So he and his wife was th- were there on Friday night when the Levy family were there, and he was very nice. He came across the entire arena. He was literally catty corner from where we were. He came mm-hmm. across the entire arena to say hello, and they come down to say hello to our family. And he 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 comes down the steps, and and he's wearing a jersey, and his mm-hmm. wife is wearing a jersey. But I notice on the back of his his name is Jay Ashberg. On the back of his jersey, it says Fisher. F-I-S-C-H-E-R. And then I look in the back of her jersey, mm-hmm. Rachel, the terrific Rachel, and it's got some nickname that I never heard her ever be called by some silly nickname. I'm like, okay. what, the, what the hell's going on? Fisher and some nickname. <laughs> he explains to me, we don't have jer- – we didn't personalize. These are the mistakes. <laughs> we – Whenever we make a mistake on the on the on the personalization, they either go in the trash. So we just we just wear the mistake. So he's wearing some guy named Fisher. He owns the freaking company, and he doesn't have his own personalized. Cray. He didn't spend uh, enough. He's wearing some guy named Fisher's jersey because they made a mistake on it. Well, you know, if if he um, if he just punches in this code that you send out early, this week, he can get it at a discounted price. He, he doesn't get want it. his own name on it. He gave me the hand. He said, Nah. He said, What am I going to do? Throw all these things? And by the way, his didn't fit very well i don't think it was the right size sure i mean she's walking around his wife he didn't even get his wife a personalized one for the holidays she's wearing some dude with a nickname some dude's nickname because they the number came out wrong or it was a little bit misplaced and they so they didn't want to throw him out so that's what they wear that's what they wear to cracking games it they reminds wear the me mistakes. of the, the i love lucy episode where they had to eat all the mistakes in the chocolate yeah. factory oh that's a mistake oh that's a mistake yeah <laughs> anyway that's the story if you're a patron and you want 75 dollars off uh, your first ever authentic kraken jersey make sure by the way when you order it you must order it with the patch and don't mm-hmm. get me into the specifics because it's all too complicated for me make sure you click the check mark that says i want the you you don't want one of these jerseys without the patch the you inaugural want the patch. patch you want you the want the, 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 patch. the patch is the key so yes. make sure that you click the 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 box that says i want the patch and then you'll put in the uh, the code word 
and uh, you'll get your $75 off for the holidays, okay? Yeah. All right. Uh, guests on this episode 167, we'll have another Seahawks note table. We'll try to figure out what the hell is going on with the Seahawks. I, I guess they're out of it. I don't know if this is the end of an era. We'll find out from Joe Fan and Brady, and I'll ask Slickhawk that same question. Our weekly chat with Rick Neuheisel, and we have something new called the Mariners note table. I've got Jason Churchill and Corey Brock of The Athletic who are going to join me for a segment and just shoot around the hot stove league and all the stuff, the off-season questions and, and big-time mysteries surrounding your favorite baseball team, okay? Very nice. Slicky, episode 167, just not possible without our partners like the brand-new Kirkland office of Cross Country Mortgage, one of the nation's premier mortgage companies wanted a new team in Kirkland, and to whom did they turn? Jordan Flowers, who immediately brought along his entire crew. Great refinance opportunities. Call Jordan today, 425-890-2957. Evergreen Golf Call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning taxes and investments under one roof. Evergreengk.com. More than just a financial advisor, Evergreen is everything wealth. The Levy family loves Zeke's Pizza. And where did we go the other night before our first ever Kraken game? Zeke's Pizza Belltown. And then walked on over to Climate Pledge Arena, download the Zeke's Pizza app, have Zeke's at your door in no time, homegrown in the Northwest. Daniel's Broiler for the holidays. My wife and Max are heading east for Thanksgiving, and that means Brett and I are doing Daniel's Broiler on Thursday. And don't forget the 13th annual Champagne Gala, December the 8th, danielsbroiler.com for details. Fireside Home Solutions, the title sponsor of Beat the Boys, our brand new outdoor fireplace is warming our entire patio thanks to Fireside Home Solutions. It's awesome. And these guys are great. Start your search right there, firesidehomesolutions.com. Here we go, episode 167, going to be a good one, and it starts right now unfiltered there are like 15 programs and like five or six bona fide biggies a lot of these guys are not coming to washington even some of the guys that aren't going to go to these jobs might look at washington and say i'm going to stay put here for another year do another great job here for another year, and then I'll get the next LSU. Unfiltered. I'm going to give you a little Ben Crenshaw. I got a feeling that the Seattle Seahawks are not only going to be in a race with a couple of weeks to go for that last wild card spot at 3-6 and six now, I also got a funny feeling about this weekend. Mitch is unfiltered. Episode 167 is now officially underway. All the stuff that we just did with the Kraken and everything else, mm-hmm. that was just like bullpen stuff. We, we were just wiped that away. Yeah, that we, was the tease. That was a warm-up. Okay. We were just All warming right. up. Okay. It's now time for 167, and I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> you were at the game. You were at the game on Sunday. You can tell yes. me more. Uh-huh. Did you expect that the Seahawks were, I thought the Seahawks were going to win. I, I When I heard that Kyler Murray wasn't playing – and Hopkins wasn't playing, and I knew how desperate the Seahawks were, and they're at home. I figured they'll find a way to 
inch out a probably an ugly game and get their fourth win of the season and we'll go on. But no. God, that was my hope. That was my hope, but I had no confidence. I mean, nothing that I saw in that Green Bay game gave me the confidence to, to think that. You just had to hope, well, maybe this week Russell Wilson, he'll feel more comfortable. His finger will be better and the offense will, you know, start start motoring again and it just did not happen the offense once again was non-existent terrible for most of that game terrible the play calling was abysmal the execution was not there and you just kind of left looking around scratching your head saying uh, colt mccoy is gonna do that to this defense now that we thought maybe was improving yeah. Colt mccoy yeah so the there was no facet of the team that looked good on sunday and it's you know pete carroll at the press conference he walked out of the press conference that's how bad it was pete no. carroll walked out of the press he conference. never yes saw, he did yeah what did he some, ended up he ended up coming back he said i'm done oh. he said i'm done and walked off really yeah like eight minutes into the press conference. Was it a question that bothered him? Was there some question that bothered just, him? Or just... He's just upset. And so he did. He said, I'm done. He walks off. He goes, takes a shower, changes clothes, come back. He comes back and he apologizes to the to the assembled media and says, hey, I respect you guys too much to just leave it at that. What are your questions? But mm. he's 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 mm. obviously frustrated. So it's I think he's a bit of, he's, he's at wit's end. We're all at wit's end. The quarterback? Yeah. No good. What, what's what's to say? You know, I mean, he the came Green alive a little. He came alive a little in the in the end of the third quarter, in the fourth quarter, right? He played a yeah. better fourth quarter. He hit some guys, but boy, in the first three quarters, he was so bad. He was so off. He was m- making bad decisions. He was missing throws that he makes in his sleep, wasn't he? Sure. And, uh, and he keeps well, saying it's I, not I, the this finger. Was, yeah. This was my thought on Wilson. Just the fact that okay, so he's not sharp. He wasn't sharp. He's not going to be that pinpoint Russell Wilson that we're used to, A, because of a little bit of rust, and B, I'm sure that finger's not 100%. So he's missing stuff a little bit where you're like, okay, I'd love him to just jam that in there. But I I just – there seemed to be – I don't know, and I I guess this was carryover from the Green Bay game. There was just no confidence, it seemed like, in the play caller's ability, Shane Walder and Pete Carroll. There's no – confidence in his ability to throw the football and they went away from it time and time again it was like banging your head against the wall and so it ended up it ended up like so many games in the Pete Carroll era have ended up where you're just running the football punting the football and you end up behind even to a backup quarterback like they did and and you have to throw in you know late in the game and and they did and they were moving the ball a little bit and they definitely in the third quarter he was making throws he hit Lockett for the the long pass and yep. you start to think okay well maybe um it just in but it, by then it was too much and then finally he makes the play they they they, they put together the drive yes. to get them in position to win the game at the end all mm-hmm. they need is one stop and they and they didn't even have to it didn't have to be a three and out the Seahawks defense had plenty of opportunities. There was plenty of time still left when the Cardinals got the ball where they could have gotten one or two first downs and still gotten off the field. And just when you need them most, Ugh. God, Colt McCoy, they're running. He's running. Colt McCoy. Uh, and, they're, and, they're letting, and they're letting receivers and tight ends catch the ball and running backs, you know, 
five or six or seven yards in front of them. It doesn't make any sense. It was so easy. I really felt like at times I could have played quarterback for the Cardinals and just thrown the <laughs> ball to those. They just were just running little intermediary, intermediate routes, yeah. and the Seahawks were playing behind these guys. If I never have to hear the words Zach Ertz or A.J. Green oh again, it just all day it seemed all day. like just and, – and, and you're right because, yeah, they get a stop there and they're in it, but it can be really deceiving. You could say, okay, well, the defense played all right. They really didn't. No. Though. They didn't stop. Them. No. They were aided by a missed extra point and two missed field goals from, from Matt Prater, and all of them were makeable. It just, whenever they needed to get a, a third down, they got it. If they had to move move the ball, they did. Seattle, you know, the one time you think, okay, well, maybe they, they've got an interception and really good field position. That was the other thing, too, and that's just football, but just they didn't get any of the breaks. The ball didn't bounce their way once that no. entire game. Even so the they weren't getting any help there. Even from the, the big referees. interceptions uh, that I thought maybe was going to stand. Yeah. Um, and I, who had the intercept? I'm trying to remember who had the interception. Sidney Jones. Sidney Jones had the interception on the sideline. It was, uh, it was close. I still haven't seen a view that would I would say that has to be overturned. I don't know. I didn't think he had it. When I yeah. watched the replay, I didn't think he had it, but I don't know. The rule seems to change, and, and it, <laughs> they just couldn't get a break. And then, of course, I guess, I guess their excuse is they've got their backup corners in the game. They, got, they, they went into the game without D.J. Reed mm-hmm. very early on in the game. Trey Brown, after two big mistakes – he gets hurt. He's got a knee injury, so he's out of the game. So maybe that's their excuse. They're out yes. there with were they, did, yeah. were they getting burned a lot outside, though? No, they, they were getting, just weren't playing anybody. They weren't well, playing yeah, anybody. They, they they, I'm letting, say, but they yeah. weren't getting burned over the top. Of their, everything was in the middle of the field. Right. It was little dinks and dunks because, and just moving Because the ball. I think they were too scared to play the yeah. corners up on the receivers. Yeah, They I were guess. just playing back and letting them curl up and, and play the middle of the field eight and nine yards down the field. <laughs> God, it was it, it was maddening. It was, it was it was totally mad. So what is it? What is it that the Seahawks do well? This version of the Seahawks, 2021 Seahawks, are they are they a good running team? Are they a good passing team? Are they a good pass rushing team? Are they a good coverage team? Are they good against the run? Are they a good kicking team? Are they a good coaching team? Do they call plays very well? I here's what I know they do well. Yeah. For the most part, they're a very good punting team. I was gonna say they they're, punt their well. punter's pretty good. Their punter's good. They 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 go down, they they pin teams back. Of course, they can't stop anybody once they do yeah. it. And AJ <laughs> Green gets free down the sidelines. Ugh. But um what do they do well? What do the Seahawks do well? Well, anything? <laughs> no, seriously. No. Do they block they, well? Do they? Is their offensive line good? No, what do of they course do? not. What do they do well? They don't do anything well. That's amazing. They don't. They don't manage the game well. It's. They don't coach well. No. They don't play well. No. On offense or defense, no. up front or or in the back end. I don't get it. There's nothing. There's nothing that this team does well, and. You know, I mean, we, we you know we've talked a few times, and I know you've had your conversations with with Mister Playoffs and things like that about <laughs> about you oh. know who who you beat and everything and the haves and the have nots. But the problem is, you look Can't around at the have nots that you're going to have to beat. You're one of them, and you might be worse than than most of them. The have nots, quote case, unquote, that you're going to see on the schedule. Case in point: next Monday night, this coming Monday night, the Washington Football Team. Yeah. Now, How do you right feel now, about that? right now, if you have to bet that game, they're on the road on a Monday night. Washington football team has won two in a row. They went to Carolina on Sunday and won. They won earlier against the Buccaneers. If you had to bet that game even up right now, Monday night, would you? Do you expect that the Seahawks are going to win that game? No. On Monday night. 
No. God, they're one of the have-nots. That's a have-not. If Colt not. McCoy can move the ball up and down the field for 300-plus yards, then Tyler Heineke. Sure can. Is that Taylor? He can do it. Taylor sure, Heineke, sure he can, can do that. Sure can. Yeah. So is the – are you getting the feeling that it's over, that this is the end of an era, or do we just think, oh, it's Jody Allen, she loves Pete Carroll, Pete will continue to coach as long as Pete wants to coach her. There, there, there are a lot of people, and myself included – I, I don't know if you where you were at the end of the Holmgren era when they were throwing snowballs at him and the. I was there. The, I was at the game. Okay, this feels like the end. There's something very final about this feeling right now. It just, I, here's what I'll say, and this is maybe this is maybe piling on. So call a 15 yarder against me. Maybe this is uh, unnecessary <laughs> roughness. He's giving him the business. Here's what I would say. The word that I would use for the current Seattle Seahawks organization, coaching staff, and players is stale. It's just, you know, that bag of chips that you unintentionally leave open and you leave mm-hmm. on the counter and you come back a few days later and you try to have one and it's just, you know, stale. You know, the, you know that feeling that I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. The players are stale. I love a lot of them. They're stale. The coaching staff, stale. I almost think that the fans, when I listen to it on TV, when I watch I, everything about the product, the organization product, feels very stale to me. Is that fair? You were at the game. Is that fair or unfair? Stale, I think, is a good word. I, I think that's part of the problem. Yeah, that 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 works for me. Uh, I think that I think just the biggest part of the problem why why you sit now where they are record wise, because these aren't all. All the problems that they're dealing with now, they're not new problems for the Seahawks. These are all things that have cropped up at different times and even almost all together at certain times since the the LOB, the Super Bowl era. But all these things have been masked by a quarterback that was playing out of his mind and that really covered up a lot of warts with this team over the years. And that's not happening right now. Whether you want to talk about it, it's because of the finger, because he's not comfortable. You, you look at the last half of last season, adjustments, whatever it is, whatever you want to chalk it up to, the quarterback, Russell Wilson, is not bailing this team out anymore. And so everything is magnified. Correct. Correct. But he wasn't bailing them out the last half of last year either. Right. And they were able to win enough games to win the division last year. Yeah, uh, they did. I mean, they played really bad teams. So there's a combination of that. I mean, and he was healthy. He was healthy at the end of last season. He's not right now. I don't know how much that plays into it. But he was able to do that. Whatever he was able to do that, he's not able to do that now. I mean, because they could play bad football for 50 minutes, and then Russell Wilson pulls him out of the fire once again, and, you know, it ends up – we gloss over all the things that are wrong because, okay, well, they won the game. Like I was thinking about, you know, this podcast today. And if they won the game, like it looked like they might, I'm like, well, we're going to bury all the stuff that, that happened in the game because here they go. They won, they cobbled it together in the end. They won the game. We gloss over that stuff. No, we when wouldn't win. You, you and I, that. you and I wouldn't have glossed over it. Uh, not to, well, there's only so much time. I mean, we could, <laughs> if you want to do three hours, we could do three hours, but I mean, we, we would have been talking about, okay, well, you know, they survived and now they got a win over one of those halves that you had to get. Now we're talking playoffs. Who we, now we got Washington next. What are we going to do? So that, I think the conversation would have been completely different. Mm. It always is when you win. So is it the end of an era on some level? Is it the uh, are we watching the final games of the Pete Carroll era in Seattle? Are we watching Let's. the final are we watching the final games of the John Schneider era in Seattle? Are we watching the final games 
of the Russell Wilson era in Seattle? I think you got to start asking those questions. I think is it is it an end of an era is is a different question than those specific questions about those individuals. I think we, uh, if and you could even say today, they put the nail in the coffin. I mean, this is the end of the Seahawks iteration as we know it. That Super Bowl caliber team every single year. It started in 2012 through 2021, through 11. Now, a lot of people would say, a lot of people would say they haven't been a Super Bowl contender in many years. You can call them what you, you want. You could say that, but I, I I don't necessarily agree with that. I, I do from a certain extent, but I mean, I saw a Rams team, you know, three, four years ago that went to the Super Bowl against the Patriots. You can do certain things. And, and when you got the quarterback, again, playing at that level or being able to pull you out of games and keep you in games, you've got a chance. I mean, this team obviously right now has no chance, no chance. And and so it's, it's the end of it. And there's no... There's no end in sight right now. There's no on the horizon, anything like that. Uh, so, yeah, this is the end of an era, how that about, era of, how about of Seahawks the, football. How about the specific questions that I asked? Yeah. Well, something's going to change. I don't know if it's Wilson or I don't know if it's Carroll. I, I, I felt like if this season was unsuccessful, it was all coming to a head. It was going to be one or the other. So Or both. Could be both, I guess. That would be tragic. That would be tragic. And it's funny because you talk about last season, last off season and all the drama there was with that. You had an offer out there from the Bears, a lot of draft picks, players, things like that. I don't know if this season continues going the way it is. I don't know what value you get back for Russell Wilson in a trade. If that's what if that's the direction they want to go. His his highest value may have been last off season, depending on. I mean, has he looked like somebody if you're the Dolphin? Well, you're a Dolphins fan. If you're if you're running the Dolphins, are you trading three first round picks for Russell Wilson right now? The way he's looked the last just take the last 16 games. No, but they're not trading him now. They'd be trading him in the offseason. Yeah. And he's got he's got six, seven games, whatever it is to to get the rust off and have the fingers start feeling better and start making the throws that he's capable of. I think if he if he just starts to show flashes of his old self teams, I'm not saying the Dolphins would be because I think you've got to be a team that's real first of all, I don't even know that he would go to the Dolphins. He's got a right. he's got a veto clause, but I think if you're going to be a team that wants Russell Wilson and that's going to pay a a shitload of draft choices and players, you got to be a team that really looks yourself in the mirror and says we are him. He makes us a Super Bowl front runner in Vegas right the day that he walks in. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. The, I don't know the Dolphins. Maybe the Dolphins felt that way last offseason. Certainly sure. watching this team, I don't see how they could think of themselves this way. So I don't know what that team is. I don't know which yeah. team that is. I don't know that that team even exists, yeah. really. Maybe maybe you would say New Orleans, yes. something like that. Yes. You know? Yes. So. Something like New Orleans. And yeah. he likes New Orleans and he likes Sean Payton. Sure. I don't know. Uh, I can't believe we're having this conversation. Did any? <laughs> by the way, we we were bullish on this team at the beginning of the season, were we not? Like during the preseason, we thought they were going to be okay at the very least, like a nine, ten, eleven win team that vies yeah. for a walker. So, uh, are we saying that just because of the Russell Wilson injury? Uh, but they were terrible with no, it. No, no, no. It's no, not, what, what no it's not. It's not the Russell Wilson injury. It's. I mean, it's all of it. But 
he just at whether it's his age or just not gelling with this offense yet he's not able to make up the difference anymore or at least right now he can't make okay. up that difference pull and him out so of the fire i think the other stuff is worse than we thought it was going to be and russell wilson isn't as good as he's been you just used the two words other stuff <laughs> that's what scott and i so it's going to be you and me doing the final segment i hope you have a little list of things that you want to bring to the forefront. I do. So let me get three interviews, actually five people in total. You've got the the Seahawks no table with two guys. you got New Heisel, and you got the Mariners no table with two guys. And then you and I will do the other stuff segment. It's official now. The holiday season is here. And when I think holiday season in the Pacific Northwest, I think a lot of things. One of which is absolutely Daniel's Broiler. My family loves Daniel's Broiler for the holidays. We'll be there Sold out at three locations on Thanksgiving Day. Joining us now, the CEO of Daniel's Broiler, who's going to tell us about another event that I'm not really aware of, Lindsey Schwartz. Hi, Lindsey. Hey, Mitch. Yeah, excited to talk about our 13th annual Champagne Gala at Daniel's Bellevue at 6 p.m. on December 8th. It's going to be a lot of fun. Now, I don't know about this Champagne dinner. You say 13th annual. That's longer running than the bourbon bash that's longer running than the apple cup with Heward and Bledsoe I didn't even know much about this I'm not a champagne guy for the most part as you know is there a featured champagne on December the 8th there is a featured champagne it's called Nicholas Fouillette and it's uh, outstanding and and people out there that know champagne are going to know that one and they're going to love it are you sure that it's outstanding how many times have you had it well, you know, I'm more of a bourbon or, or red wine kind of guy, but people tell me it's outstanding. Is this the one that we should use next year when the last undefeated NFL team falls? Nicholas Fouet? Is that what you're telling me? I think you would have to increase your budget a lot. I think uh, I've seen the champagne that you drink every year, and uh, I think this is going to be a little bit more expensive. All right, December the 8th at Daniel's Broiler in Bellevue. Go to danielsbroiler.com to reserve your chair, your seat. For you and your loved one, how are we doing employee-wise at Daniel's Broiler? You know, it's been getting better every week, so we're grateful for that. But we're always looking for good people that want to come to work in our industry. So if you know anybody, please send them our way. Okay. Danielsbroiler.com for the 13th annual Champagne Dinner, December the 8th. Also, Danielsbroiler.com if you're looking for some work. Daniel's Broiler is still looking for some great people. They've been a fabulous partner of mine. I don't know for how long. 20 years, going back to the radio days, we love Daniel's Broiler, a world-class steakhouse. Unfiltered. Outstanding first half for Colt McCoy. Lost the football, then throws. Touchdown. Second of the game for Zach Ertz. First and goal, it's Dallas in for a Seahawks touchdown. First and goal from the one, following the penalty as Potter takes it in for his 13th touchdown of the season. It's really surprising um, now that we're back a couple weeks with Russ back in there and, and uh, that we, we had such a hard time scoring, you know, and, and uh, moving the football. And we just, you know. Yeah, the, the, the hard part of it is it's kind of this, I, it's what it's been like, and it hasn't gotten better, and we have to improve. we got to find our ways. It's becoming a bit of a grind. I never thought I'd say that. The Seahawks no table. Not that I don't love Joe Fan. Not that I don't love Brady Henderson, ESPN Seahawks insider. I love seeing their shining faces late at night after a Seahawks loss. But this is becoming 
routine to talk about Seahawks losses. It's the Seahawks No Table presented by Taco Time and Taco Time Northwest and their search for employees, tacotimenw.com slash careers. The Seahawks get an enormous break, Brady. They get a Cardinals team without Kyler Murray. They get a, a, a Cardinals team without Hopkins. Uh, who am I missing? Uh, they, they lost a defensive player earlier in the year. Oh, J.J. Watt. They get yep. a Cardinals team without J.J. Watt. They get him at home. A chance for a desperate Seahawks team to get well and a major thud. So I ask you the same question as we always start with after losses. Why did the Seahawks lose Brady Anderson? Well, as I always tell you, Mitch, they lost this game for multiple reasons, and certainly you would expect their defense to play a whole lot better uh, given that the Cardinals were without their two best offensive players in Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. And and I I think we're probably going to focus a lot of of the conversation tonight on their offense and how bad it was for the second week in a row. Uh, And I hope nobody gets the impression that we think that their defense was fine. Um, You know, you allow 23 points, that at least gives – it gives them a chance to win that game, but I just think they should have been better against another backup quarterback. And um, you you go back to last season when Colt McCoy – would say in air quotes he led the Giants to a win in Seattle. I mean that was really their defense in their running game. Uh, but you know, and Colt McCoy managed the Giants to a win in that game. He really led the Cardinals to a win in this game, and it's just inexcusable, I think, to 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 lose a game to a backup quarterback like that. And you know, for all the excuses that we could have made about the Seahawks at various points this season, Russell Wilson being down, uh, and you know them starting a backup in Geno Smith, or you know last week in Green Bay, it's a place where they never win. And Russell's playing for the first time in over a month. You know, you've had some excuses, some level of excuses in the past. There's no excuse for losing this game uh, like this. I know the Cardinals are a good team, but again, without their two best offensive players um, in a must-win situation for the Seahawks, and they did not get it done. So, Joe, in in Vegas, Joe, let's start with this. What one word, one adjective would you use to describe watching your hometown Seahawks play football on Sunday? Uh, Gutless. Gutless. To me, in a desperate situation, a game you had to win – you got to find a way. And it was a comprehensive failure. The offense is broken. Everything is so laborious. Nothing comes in any sort of rhythm of, of the, the offense. Where, conversely, Cole McCoy's getting to the top of his drop and A.J. Green's wide open. He's got Rondale Moore as a check down waiting for him every play. Seahawks couldn't cover Zach Ertz. I mean, it was comprehensively embarrassing. And, you know, it's sad to say that, but that's... That's what happened, and you're now looking at sort of, you know, the, the, I guess the way it felt was, you know, this is this is the end of an era, and it was the most successful. It's been the most successful era in the history of Seahawks football, arguably all of Seattle sports. Um, but it just feels like if we've seen the writing on the wall during the off season, so far through the season with the three and six start, now at three and seven. It, it just becomes all but official at this point, unless something miraculous happens down the stretch. But you need to define end of an era. Uh, end of an era isn't just you don't make the playoffs in a given season. That's what it looks like for 2021. What do you mean by end of an era? End of an era in that John Schneider, Pete Carroll, and Russell Wilson will not all be in Seattle next season. And I have no idea. It's going to be fascinating to see which of the three are still there. You assume John Schneider will be, but Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson, one has got to go. 
potentially both. Potentially you trade Russell Wilson and try to get some, and you go into a full rebuild mode, try to recoup some draft capital and, and stockpile on some young talent that this roster desperately needs. Pete Carroll, who has just seemed exasperated at the end of the game in his press conference, he left media, obviously, I've seen him. Of course, it wasn't there, but just seeing on Twitter, I mean, that's, that's not very Pete Carroll. That's not very eternal optimist, everything's going to be okay. I mean, it's just clearly gotten to him. And he said this is the most frustrated he's ever been since taking over this job. I mean, now he's a great guy, and he came back and, and, and answered more questions, and good on him because that's not easy to do. And it, that took some, you know, that's a, that's a big move of him you know, on a personal level. But, you know, I don't think it's a guarantee he wants to do this again after this season. Um, I think everything is on the table in terms of what the shakeups could be following this season that just appears to be a, a total train wreck. This reminded me a little bit of that game. I think it was in December of 2017 when they just got waxed at home by the Rams. It was like 42 to 7 or something. And I think at the time it was their worst loss and may still be under Pete Carroll. And it, they obviously did not lose as bad uh, in this game uh, on Sunday, but it was kind of similar in that you've just felt it. You, you know, you felt that game back in 2017 coming for a while. And as Joe said, this just kind of was, it kind of just made it official and really confirmed uh, what you know and, and what I guess I should say what we figure is that uh, just like it was after that 2017 season when they missed the playoffs, you just figure that this team is going to look different uh, or the organization is going to look different in some way. Now, John Schneider just signed a contract extension last season, as did Pete Carroll. Um, and so that is worth mentioning uh, with regards to those two guys. Now, with regards to Russell, I mean, look, we both know where this is headed. It, there's going to be just as much, probably more conversation um, once this season ends as to what's going to happen with him. And it, it's just, I, don't, I don't think you can say it's like a foregone conclusion that they're going to trade the best quarterback in franchise history. I mean, a lot of things have to line up for that to happen. They've, it's got to be a place where he wants to go. Remember, there was only four teams last year that he said that he'd be willing to accept a trade to. So it's got to be a place where he wants to go. And it's got to be a place that has enough draft capital or enough resources uh, to make it worth the Seahawks' while. And obviously, when you're trading the best player in franchise history, you're not just giving him away. It's, it's got to make sides. It's got to make sense for both sides. But um, I think we both I think we all know that when you're three and seven and when your offense is broken and when Russell Wilson has already voiced the frustration that he has, I, I think it's pretty clear that 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 situation, potential situation is where this is headed. And at three and seven, that's basically the only it, it's kind of like that's the only relevance to the second half of this season is wondering what's going to happen with Wilson next. But I don't hear you, Brady, definitively agreeing with Joe that we are definitely headed for some sort of a split next year. It sounds to me like you think there's a, a more than decent chance that both Carol and Schneider are back and that they can't find a deal that they want that's palatable for Russell Wilson. So he's back, too. So the three of them are back, unlike what Joe's saying. I mean, it's so hard to predict just because you just don't see teams trade franchise quarterbacks like this who are 32, 33 years old. So uh, I, I I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. But I, no, I, I don't disagree with Joe either. I mean, it's just hard. It, on one hand, it's hard to imagine all three of those uh, guys being back next year. But I just I, I guess my point is that trading a franchise quarterback is it's not as simple as 
a lot of people might assume it to be. And and even if Russell Wilson wants out, I mean, look what happened. Look at what has happened uh, with two other franchise quarterbacks who have been very unhappy. Obviously, the Deshaun Watson situation, that's totally different. Uh, the Aaron Rodgers, I think that's more analogous to what's going on here in Seattle. I mean, he was frustrated. Uh, it sounded like he wanted out, and that didn't happen. And so it, it, it sort of – my point is that it takes two to tango, and it really takes three to tango because, you've, again, it's got to be another team that is willing to give up, uh, you know, something that would, would make it worthwhile for the Seahawks. And Pete Carroll has got to be willing, if he's going to stay around, to start all over again with a new quarterback. I don't know where that quarterback is. Is he coming back – in the trade? Is it a draft choice? I don't know. Joe, you are comprehensively frustrated with the Seahawks. You called it a gutless performance. It's a total organization failure. You've named the three guys, Pete Carroll, John Schneider, Russell Wilson, to name three. When you point fingers at those three, who's the most culpable? Who's the second most culpable? Who's the third? Who do you blame? For where we are today all of them all of them the drafts have been bad i think pete carroll's style of coaching is outdated and archaic i don't think he has the roster to support his philosophies of wanting to control the clock play defense first um all of that and russ deserves plenty of blame russ hasn't been good period and it's hard to know the the, the biggest area that i think is is murky in terms of figuring out where the blame is is I mean, is Shane Waldron really this bad as an offensive coordinator? Or is he being handcuffed by what Pete Carroll wants in terms of philosophy, play calling, style, all of that? I, I think it's fair to say that, that Russ is not playing good football, and we're seeing his deficiencies. And I think we talked about this on Thursday a bit, or Friday, uh, going into this game, was Russell Wilson's deficiencies are, are being – uh, magnified much more when his strengths aren't showing up as much. With the athleticism waning, with the inability to play hero ball as consistently as he once did, you have to find a way to operate within the framework of an offense. And he's just not doing that well enough. He didn't do it well enough the last eight games a year ago, and he's not doing it well enough now. And so what what's it going to take? Is it going to take him being paired with a guy like Sean Payton, whose system is tried and true, and he can really be the brains behind Russell's athleticism and all of that. I think that there's something to be said for A's inability to get a short and intermediate quick game in rhythm, operating over the middle of the field, avoiding the, the big play or bust sort of style. The third down sacks have been crippling. They're one of the worst third down teams in football. And then I also think there's something to be said for his potential inability uh, to to make in-game adjustments on the fly and diagnose the line of scrimmage and make checks and, and get the, the situation or get his offense to a situation that is more favorable to them. I just think we've seen enough at this point to say he doesn't he's maybe not the field general that you see from other quarterbacks where they feel like they're in total command and every little thing they're doing you think gosh he knows exactly what's coming at him and he's he's you know he's playing chess while other, the other team's playing checkers so this isn't to say that Russell Wilson's broken and he's done and he's washed and that's it but he's not a perfect quarterback and right now we're seeing why.
Yeah, this game to me, I think, really illustrated one of the things that has been wrong with the Seahawks offense dating back to last season and continues to be wrong, which is they just don't have the underneath passing game that you would expect a team to have when it has had the issues that it has had in pass protection for as long as we've all been talking about it. And I'll give you a stat here. According to NFL Next Gen Stats, Colt McCoy finished 25 of 32 for 201 yards and two touchdowns on throws within 2.5 seconds of the snap. So we're talking about quick throws within 2.5 seconds of the snap. Uh, that was the second most, tied for the second most in a game this season and second most by a Cardinals quarterback since 2011. What you saw there was an offense functioning and functioning pretty well by getting the ball out quickly and in rhythm. And for the life of me, I, it's just, it's mystifying to me why the Seahawks, for all of the, the talk about how that was going to be one of the more noticeable differences with their offense this season under Shane Waldron, is more of a quick and underneath passing game that gets the ball out quickly, gets it into the playmaker's hands, mitigates the issues in pass protection. You just still don't see it. And I don't know whether that's Shane Waldron's offense not scheming those opportunities enough or whether it's Wilson not seeing those opportunities and still trying to force the ball downfield and eschewing you know those underneath plays it's probably some combination of the two because that's how it usually is but uh, whatever the reason it, it is just mystifying as to why that remains such a lack of their you know such a, a glaring absence in their offense and you see exactly what it can do for an offense uh, you saw that on Sunday with the Cardinals tell me about what other what other guys said what the tenor was where do they go from here uh, just a sense of what it felt like with the guys that were made public or made available to you guys yeah, kind of what you would expect, you know, some uh, hushed tones and hanged heads. But, you know, Jamal Adams was uh, doing what I think the Seahawks would want their $17.5 million a year safety to do, which is, you know, look, you know, stay positive and say that they're going to climb their way out of it and all that stuff. And kind of stated the obvious when he said that their defense had to do a better job of getting off the field. Arizona was 7-14 to on third down, and that was a big bugaboo for Seattle's defense early in the season uh, when it was struggling and really something that it, it got a lot better at during its recent resurgence, but that was an issue in this game. And, uh, you know, Russell Wilson was Russell Wilson post-game talking about how they've got to find a way to make more plays on third down uh, and whatnot. And, and he was very, you know, optimistic as he usually is and talking about how they're going to pull their way out of it. Um, you know, there was an interesting question post-game. Somebody asked him uh, about how the you know, Seahawks 3-7 and seven start is going to impact his thinking given impact his thinking on his future I should say given the frustration he voiced uh, this offseason he used it as an opportunity to say he loves the Seahawks he loves being here uh, he said it's not going to impact his thinking at all and that all he's focused on is is uh, pulling the Seahawks out of this hole okay I thought it was interesting uh, with Tyler Lockett again seeing the tweets from Brady and others uh, on the beat Tyler Lockett saying that defense is what the Seahawks are looking at on tape all week long is not what they're getting on Sundays. And then Russell Wilson saying that's not the case. That's a pretty big gap between an evaluation in evaluations of what happened and what is happening in these struggles offensively. When Russ is saying it just comes down to execution and Tyler Lockett saying pretty confidently that their teams are playing us differently differently than they play anybody else. Teams have found the secret sauce that that mitigates our offense, and they they run it religiously. No matter what else they've done all season long, 
Um, and I thought that was really interesting. I thought it was also interesting that Russ completely denied that or disagreed with it. I don't know what that means necessarily. I, to me, I would tend to believe Tyler because we've seen this movie now play out over a full season with half of this year than the second half of, of the 2020 season. Uh, but I thought that was really interesting uh, post game. Okay, boys, before we uh, call it quits, after the 23-13 Seahawks loss to the Cardinals, it dropped them to 3-7 and seven on the season. We need a Taco Time Northwest player of the game from each of you. I can start or I can have Joe Fan start. Joe, you want the first – you want the pick of the litter because there's such a huge litter from such a great-looking loss by the Seahawks to the Cardinals. What do you want to do? You know, we haven't even – I'm just looking at the box score right now. And it's such a footnote. But how sad is it that Rashad Penny, I mean, he gets one carry, rips off for 18 <laughs> yeah. yards and goes into the goes blue out. tent. Yeah. He ends up coming back and getting another carry, but he wasn't involved. I mean, DJ Dallas was getting run instead of him, and Alex Collins had 10 carries to his two. And you just think, God, you know, D. Eskridge was, I don't even know if he stepped on the field today. Or, barely, I don't even know if he stepped on the field on Sunday. It just is such a mess. Jordan Brooks can't cover anybody. You just go through and you look and say, my goodness, where is the hope? Like, where is the where is the player that you point to and say, at least they've got these couple of guys and everything will be all right because this is where it's headed. And, you know, think, my goodness, it's so doom and gloom, but the Jets are looking to have a top 10 pick in the first round. I mean, it's just all it's all bad in Seattle with that. Who was doing work? Uh, <laughs> Tyler Lockett had four catches for 115 yards. He was doing work, I guess. Good for Tyler. I got Gerald this- Everett, Brady. I don't know that the numbers jump off the box score, but in the last couple of weeks, it seems like they're using him a lot more or they're trying to use him a little bit more. And, you know, when he has an opportunity to make a play, he gives you everything he's got. I like his energy. I like his spunk. And I'm going to take Gerald Everett as my doing work, my taco time player of the game. I thought that Gerald Everett for a second consecutive week was doing work. What do you think? I agree with you. There. Yeah, I mean, there was that one uh, screen pass where he broke a tackle, I think picked up 12 yards. And, like, that's an example of the short passing game that you just – you wonder why there isn't more, more of that. Of but yeah. Um, yeah. You, when you started bringing up the, that it's the taco time segment, I'm thinking that this is the, this is the part of every week where I frantically – flip through the uh, the little game sheet here and try to figure out somebody who played well enough to be worthy of the Taco Time player. Um, I guess I'll say Brian Monet. Here's a, a Oh, yeah. A yeah, he played well. I, if you could call it a fun fact. Uh, he had a half sack in two-plus seasons entering this game, and he had 1.5 sacks uh, Sunday against Arizona. So, um, you know, for all of the issues their defense has had getting pressure on the quarterback, I mean, I thought they, they – got pressure on Colt McCoy in this game. Uh, there was just a lot of near misses and a lot of sacks that he spun out of um, and ended up finding you know big gains. It was sort of Russell Wilson-esque in that regard where he just takes a, a near sack and turns it into a big positive play for Arizona. So, uh, But with 1.5 sacks, Brian Moynet was doing work. <laughs> I love it. Oh, God, if I don't laugh, I'll cry. Uh, three and seven with a date in the nation's capital or just outside of the nation's capital. The Washington football team who all of a sudden has come alive and won a couple of games, including a win over Tom Brady and the Bucks last week and then a win on the road in Carolina this past weekend. It'll be Washington and Seattle on Monday Night Football. And I know all the 
ABC and ESPN executives are thrilled to have that matchup on Monday night. Brady Henderson sticking with us after covering the Cardinals and Seahawks. Thank you, Brady. Thanks, guys. And Joe Fan up late. The hair's up straight. He's frustrated. He's seen better days. He hangs <laughs> with us. Joey Vegas, Joe Fan. Appreciate you guys. All righty. It's been too long, way too long since we got a little update on the new Kirkland branch of Cross Country Mortgage. J Flow. Jordan Flowers is in the house. Jay Flo, how's the transition gone to cross country? Hey, it's good to be back. It's been a great transition. Thanks for having me back on. I didn't know if you were still doing these <laughs> or what. I don't know, but <laughs> it's been a phenomenal transition. It's been great. I got to give a special shout out. You got listeners everywhere, Mitch. And the gentleman that is the area manager for the space we've been in, in Bellevue, his name's Alfred Northcutt. He came up and talked to me getting coffee in the space the other day. He's a big fan. And big nice. listener, and he's been phenomenal to work with here. So, Alfred, thank you. Appreciate Tr- all tremendous. you've done for us. Throw some numbers at us, Jordan. 30-year fixed refinance opportunities. How's the selling market? I understand you personally went through the sale and purchase of a new home. I'm assuming Cross Country Mortgage handled that. <laughs> Cross Country did handle it and did a phenomenal job. Thank you, Cross Country. Uh, <laughs> we did sale. It was a great sale, phenomenal sale. And we are moving into our new house here soon. 30-year fix rates, conventional conforming 30-year fixes at three to three, three, seven, five, depending on credit and purchase versus refi or cash out. People are still looking to do home improvements, what have you there. Um, some are still calling in lower in their interest rates. So low threes right now with the conventional 30-year and then jumbo rates, loan amounts higher than 748 right now are kind of high twos, 275 to 3%. And Cross Country's always been a leader in new construction packages available. That's right. We talked about it a little bit last time and I've gotten several phone calls with listeners. But yes, we are a market leader with custom construction builds and love talking to everybody that's calling in about it. And how do we call in? How do we contact the new Kirkland office of Cross Country Mortgage? You can always text and call me on my cell phone, 425-890-2957, or you can email me and the team all at once at teamflowers at myccmortgage.com. Nice. You've got the name, you've got the number, the new Kirkland office of Cross Country Mortgage, terrific partners and sponsors of Mitch Unfiltered. Unfiltered. A bank it to him, steps up, delivers downfield, it's a long touchdown, number two, for number two. Buckeyes throwing haymakers, they've blown this wide open. Brendan Lewis under center, play action, on the rollout, Lewis running toward the corner, and he dives, and he is, and touchdown, Colorado. Thomas the running back, Thomas the ball carrier, Hey, it's stretch time, stretch run time in college football. Taco time and their continuing search for new employees brings us CBS college football analyst Rick Neuheisel each and every week. I'm Mitch Unfiltered. TacoTimeNW.com slash careers for a 15-minute Zoom interview. Rick Neuheisel, I I don't know exactly how to view... This correct pick of UCLA over USC, 
I'm kind of feeling like it's a, I don't know, a 38-7 game and you throw one in for a late <laughs> touchdown to make it 38-14. Or is there a different way to view this? How in the world can you call what was a brilliant uh, prognostication <laughs> anything close to garbage time type uh, of stuff? <laughs> I mean, look, at I, we're getting close to the holidays. I want you to realize it's just Uncle Rick getting ready to give <laughs> beautiful gifts to all of his Taco Time pals. <laughs> okay, I'll look at it that way. And before we move to the more important things... I texted you on Saturday when I saw the highlight of the UCLA quarterback after scoring a touchdown, actually signing some fan's cap in the back of the end zone. <laughs> and I don't know whether I was more intrigued by that or the, the coach on the UCLA staff, the very handsome, blonde, locked coach on the UCLA staff that pulled the quarterback aside and put his arm around him. Boy, that kid looked like a new Heisel. Much better looking than you, but he looked like a new Heisel on that sideline. Fortunately, Jerry does look like his mother. You are <laughs> right. It was a new Heisel. And he was doing the exact right thing, putting his arm around the lad, telling him great play, but try not to get his 15-yard penalties <laughs> in the future. <laughs> How would the old man have, ha have handled that? Probably very similarly. You know, it, listen, the guy was, tr he was having fun. College should be fun. That was not showing anybody up. We all understand what the reason for the unsportsmanlike penalty flags are. Uh, and, and that was not one of them. But uh, you have to just kind of time and place, time and place, <laughs> lad, time and place. Gotcha. Okay. There, there is a new, a new a top four, a new poll that's going to come out from the committee this week. And I think I finally, for the first week, can say that I've got a pretty good grasp. Now, you may tell me when I share with you some of my observations, you may tell me, Mitch, you don't have the grasp that you thought you had. <laughs> so let's just see. First of all, can we agree on a few things? Oregon has been voted off of Survivor Island, right? Oregon's done. It was duck season, and that <laughs> duck didn't make it past day one of duck season. All right. I expect in the new rendition this week, I expect Georgia to be number one. I believe that Ohio State has been more impressive the last several weeks than Alabama, and when you look at each of their one losses, one's Oregon, one I think is Texas A&M, to me, no big deal between those two. I think that the committee should and will flop Ohio State to two and Alabama to three. You agree or disagree with that, and then I'll move on to my next comment. You are lockstep with me thus far. Okay. Now we come to Cincinnati. I believe with the Oregon loss and the set of circumstances on Saturday in college football, I view Cincinnati as now being safe if they win out. They got two games to go. I think it's uh, based on memory, East Carolina and Houston probably in their conference title game. For me, if they win those two games and they also have that win over Notre Dame, somebody's going to win the Michigan-Ohio State game and somebody's going to lose it. And I think because right. of all of that, the only conceivable scenario where I could see 
Cincinnati winning out and not getting in. I'm looking at Oklahoma State. Could Oklahoma State win the last two against Oklahoma and somebody in the Big 12 championship game? And then somehow the committee says, we're going to take a one-loss uh, Oklahoma State team over Cincinnati. I think they're too far behind at this point. So I think Cincinnati is safe. That's my uh, point number three to you. Yay or nay? I'm with you, but I also would be looking over my shoulder at Oklahoma State, as you suggested. Two really impressive wins by Oklahoma State, maybe both over Oklahoma, maybe twice oh. over Oklahoma oh. should Baylor lose. Okay. Uh, could could vault them ahead of Cincinnati, especially if Cincinnati regresses and goes back to the subpar type of wins that we saw over Navy and Tulsa. Doesn't Houston help Cincinnati? Houston being undefeated. If they get a Houston, an undefeated Houston team in their conference championship game, doesn't that help Cincinnati a little bit, Rick? I, it, well, there's no question Houston does. And East Carolina is actually playing well as uh, uh, here of late. Uh, Mike Houston's done a whale of a job. I think you're right. I think Cincinnati's safe. I would, I would not let my foot off the gas pedal. And maybe, Mitch, maybe Gary Barta has set us up maybe the reason they put Michigan over Michigan, Michigan state, state yeah. was because they're anticipating a Cincinnati loss and vaulting Notre Dame ahead of Cincinnati. Should they both have the same record with one loss? Okay. But you bring up Michigan and it, it, it figures to me that Michigan really doesn't care where they are in the upcoming Poll no. because they know exactly what they need to do. They need to beat Ohio State and they and then beat somebody in the Big Ten title game and winner. If they do that, they're going to be in the Final Four one way or the other. Michigan and Ohio State are they know their they know their formula. Win and they're in. My last question about the four would be this: Let's assume you're going to talk about Georgia and Alabama. An Alabama two no, loss, right? Actually, I'm coming back to that because you and I have talked about that every week. I'll make it two last things. First thing, if Cincinnati loses to Houston, Oklahoma State wins out, Notre Dame wins out, who would be viewed loftier in the committee's eyes? A one-loss Oklahoma State team or a one-loss Notre Dame fighting Irish team? Oh, goodness. I actually think Oklahoma State's the, the would be the pick, but I would worry about Notre Dame, especially with the beatdown they put on Georgia Tech. Mm -hmm. You'd expect that's going to be a similar outcome against Stanford this weekend. Stanford comes into the game with eight losses, getting having gotten beat by 30 against Cal. I, I would say Notre Dame might be trending, and Notre Dame's prestige and aura – is always uh, a danger in a committee room. Now answer your question about a potential two-loss Alabama team that beats Auburn and then loses to Georgia. I feel like if Cincinnati wins the last two, this is crazy to say. I don't even, I don't even believe myself. I hear myself saying about to say what I'm going to say. But a Cincinnati team with no losses, Alabama loses, let's say Alabama loses to Georgia close or what have you. And let's say Ohio State, like I expect that they will, runs the table from here on in. I could see Georgia being one, Ohio State being two, Cincinnati actually being three, matching up Cincinnati and Ohio State in the national semifinal. Would the state of Ohio like that game? 
Ohio State versus Cincinnati in a national semifinal? <laughs> the last time those two teams played just a couple years ago in a year where Cincinnati won 11, Ohio State beat them 42 to nothing. That that That's a fact. I mean, this is a completely new version of Cincinnati. But uh, listen, Cincinnati is deserving of all that we're saying about them. I don't believe they're as good as some of the teams we're talking about them. But it isn't what I believe. It's what they've earned. And, and they've certainly earned the right to be where they're going to be ranked. How about Alabama with two losses? Yes. Alabama with two losses as long as it was a double overtime thriller. A double overtime oh. thriller gives them hope. Heisman Trophy. Bryce Young, 31 of 40, 559 yards and five touchdowns. C.J. Stroud, 32 of 35 for Ohio State, 432 and six touchdowns against Michigan State. Is it Bryce Young's to lose at this point? Rick Neuheisel. Actually, I think it's C.J. Stroud's to lose. C.J. Stroud's I to think lose? C really? I think C.J. Stroud has taken a slight edge. Uh, I think it's been more dominant in the 32 of 35 in the stage that he just had with the Michigan State defense on the other side, despite the fact they came in as the last-ranked pass defense. I think it was just that uh, brilliant a performance, and he's got the stage of stages again this weekend. Washington football somehow statistically dominates Colorado but fumbles the ball here and there. And before you know it, they're looking up at the scoreboard and they, they lose a game to a really bad Colorado Buffalo team in the Pac-12. All hell has broken loose with that program. Of course, they're now in the, I would imagine, in the early stages of trying to figure out a plan moving forward. You and I talked about the dismissal last week on uh, Mitch Unfiltered, but you, right. and I, you and I have not yet talked about the candidates. And I thought it would be interesting for our listeners to hear who former UW coach Rick Neuheisel thinks would be good candidates. But I'd also like to know who the pipe dreams are. There's got to be two or three guys out there that everybody in the world wants, LSU wants, USC wants, that would make a great coach at, at Washington that you don't think Washington has the wherewithal to go get and, and fight off some of these other challengers. Start there for us. Well, first of all, I don't sure there's there's many guys that Washington doesn't have the wherewithal to go out. I guess if there were a name, I'd give you Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma because I think he's going to stay put. I've heard an outlandish number that was thrown across his desk from LSU like eight years and $96 million. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of number I heard. You guys all remember Scott Woodward up there and how he likes to swing for the fences. I, I think the most outlandish name that is somebody that they're going to make say no, I think they're going to go back and ask Chris Peterson, would he like to come back? That would be the first thing, because in a name, image, and likeness world, he might say, you know, if someone else is going to handle all of that, maybe I can just go back and coach a team and might be interested. I don't believe it, but I would ask. And then I would go to people that Chris Peterson – believes fit the deal given that Chris Peterson did enjoy some measure of success there. And I think that names like Justin Wilcox from Cal will be on the high on the list. And I think Brian Harson, who is at Auburn right now, but I'm told isn't exactly feeling like that's a great fit. And if there were a way to get Brian Harson out of a buyout, mutually agree to get out of a buyout, Brian Harson might fit beautifully in the Pacific Northwest. What do you think about the head coach at Oregon State 
who has overachieved there and was a terrific offensive coordinator for Peterson in that 2000, whatever it was, year that they went to the uh, Final Four college football. What do you think about him? Absolutely. And this is another Chris Peterson guy that Chris Peterson can, can you know give his stamp of approval. That one makes all the sense in the world as well. Uh, wouldn't be shocked at all for them to go there. The other guy would be Kalani Sataki, the head coach at BYU. Uh, now, he hasn't had a lot of Washington roots, but he's certainly been in the Pac-12. He was the defensive coordinator for Kyle Whittingham. We know how valuable it is to have a connection with Polynesian athletes, especially as they make up a great portion of the defensive line talent in the Pacific 12 conference. Do you have any inclination as to whether she or they would be looking offensive roots or defensive roots, or does it not matter? Well, based on the absolute struggle offensively, I would say they're going to be looking for offense. Justin Wilcox is not offense. Justin Wilcox doesn't fit that mold. And Justin Wilcox, they would actually, I, I think this would be where Chris would get involved and say, here, match this deal. I, I would go as far as to say that Chris might even lean towards Kellen Moore, the defense, the, uh, the coordinator at the Cowboys. And I've heard that he was interested a little bit in the TCU job. And maybe they can find somebody that comes in and handles the store until he can join when the NFL season's over. But that's a long wait, given what recruiting is uh, going about. But it, it's not outlandish to think that Kellen Moore would be contacted. There's a lot of people out here that are saying that they should not hire a guy that doesn't have head coaching experience, college football head coaching experience. It's, that should be one of the boxes that they check, which, of course, would knock Kellen Moore out, Rick. Yeah, and that's fair, except I'm telling you right now, there's a lot of guys with head coaching experience that that experience is actually a negative because this landscape of being a college football coach right now is totally different than it was five and 10 years ago. So if you're kind of stuck in your ways of how to do things, you're going to have to learn a new way of doing things. And sometimes somebody who's really, you know, kind of got a, a routine is more reluctant to do that than somebody who's new to the job and doing it for the first time. My belief for Chris Peterson is this. He got tired of what he thought were external forces that were creating unfair advantages for other programs. And he got tired of it. You know, call it cheating, call what it you what you will. He just saw this is nonsense. I want to do I want to do things the right way, and others aren't willing to do so. I'm getting out of this nonsense. But name, image, and likeness has put all those negotiations above the board. And maybe this is an environment that is like, okay, if someone else handles all that negotiation stuff and I just get to coach my OKGs, the my my kind of guys. Yeah then I'm all back in and, and I, I, and a year away, we'll tell him how much he misses it. Can we, if he comes back, can we at least do away with the chart that tells him how to handle end of game clock situations? Can we, can we throw that thing in the trash? Can, can he hire Mitch Levy as just his, his end of game clock consultant? What do you think about that? Now, there you go, Mitch. See, this is a, this is why you don't necessarily need to go get that old coach. You go get a new guy. Maybe he gets a new chart. I mean, we've had this conversation. Uh, listen, Chris Peterson is uh, a hall of famer. Uh, if he's got the energy 
and we know he'd pour himself back into it. If he wants the job, I think Husky fans would be excited about it. Definitely so. So we'll wait and see, and you and I will talk about this as the weeks go on and we walk our way towards the, the national championship playoff and the national championship game, which brings us to the end of our time together. It's always a very bittersweet moment for me. Well, it's been, I shouldn't say bittersweet. It's been bitter, bitter moment because A. <laughs> I, bitter, I bitter, bitter, yes, bitter, there's, bitter, there's, bitter, <laughs> bitter, bitter. Okay. Okay. <laughs> there's the, I get it. <laughs> there's, the, there's the part of me that's sad that I don't get a chance to chat with you any longer, that our time together is over. And then there's the part of me that's sad that I know that there's a chance I'm going to lose a lot more money based on the end of this particular <laughs> no, podcast. You're winning this week. I told you. Okay. This is, this is the holiday season. I'm in a benevolent mood. Okay. Everybody's going to win. Okay. Tell me. Speak to me. The pick this weekend. There are four games this weekend, Mitch, that put that pit five and six teams against one another. Bowl participation or no bowl. Oh. One of those games is Florida, Florida State. Florida, as you know, just got rid of their head coach. My belief is that the Florida Gators will not be interested in the postseason. Florida State has won their last two, including going up to Boston College and winning. And I think Florida State and Mike Norvell will find a way to beat the Gators at Gainesville and get the postseason, and Florida will just start over. I think it's a two-point line. Florida's favored by. I love the Seminoles. Did you like the lightsaber from the Missouri coach during the press conference, or did you not like that that little shot? I didn't get it. Was Did Mullen do that to him last year? Is yeah. that what happened? It was on Halloween, so Mullen came to the press conference after the Missouri game, and he was in full Darth Vader <laughs> mode. So, uh, so the head coach of Missouri has been waiting a year to play the game again and pull out his lightsaber at the end. I'm not sure that Eli uh, Drinkwitz uh, – needed to take that so personally <laughs> but if it works for Eli then I'm happy for him uh, and Missouri is going bowling and Rick Neuheisel will be on the call oh. as Missouri travels to Fayetteville this Friday and so uh, check me out on CBS Mitchie okay. I will indeed yes indeed and I'll be cashing my ticket on Sunday uh, because Florida State is going to yes, take you care will. of Florida in that uh, that big state of Florida showdown for the right to go to a bowl game. That's it. Rick Neuheisel, presented by Taco Time and Taco Time Northwest. We appreciate you, Rick, and we'll talk to you next week at this time. Can't wait. Thank you. That's Happy great. Thanksgiving. So here I am having a good week, feeling all great about myself. And then here she comes. There's no better person to remind me of my limitations than Katie Versio, senior financial planner of our partner at Evergreen Golf Call. Hi, Katie. Hi, Mitch. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for being back. Three questions more. 
And the theme today is tax reform. So this is a big hot topic in the news this year. The House just a few weeks ago recently released updates to their proposed legislation. And this is especially relevant for us. In 2020, Evergreen acquired a tax firm. So with the help of Evergreen Sterling Cooter, we put together a few questions. Yes, I knew that. I knew about the acquisition of the tax firm. Let's go. Question number one. I'd like to hit one out of the ballpark. One of these days. Go ahead. All right. So the first question, the proposed maximum tax rate is increasing to 39.6% starting at $400,000 for individuals or $450,000 for married couples. What's the current maximum tax rate? Is it 30%, 32%, 37% or 38%? Well, it's not 30. It's either 32 or 37. I'll say 32%. Oh, you sh- it was actually 37%. In this proposal, it would go from 37 to okay. 39.6. Got it. So it's up 2.6% in the highest bracket. Question number two. All right. This this might be one for you. This is true or false. Oh. <laughs> so this proposal repeals 1031 real estate exchanges, which allows you to sell investment real estate and defer capital gains tax by rolling it into another property. Is that true or false? Sounds true to me. It's actually false. Oh. Yes, it was uh, in the original proposal. They were recommending repealing it, but it is not in this version. So <sighs> holders of investment real estate can hold a sigh of relief. Okay. I'm 0 for 2. I've got one last shot to get off the schneid and at least hit 333. Go ahead, Katie Versio. Okay, so this proposal recommends increasing the top capital gains rate from 20 to 25%. What is the starting date for this increase under this proposal? So is it starting January 1st, 2021? So going all the way back to the beginning of the year. April 30th, 2021. September 13th, 2021, or January 1st, 2022? September 13th is just too (laughs) obscure of a date for you to throw at me. Where would you come up unless it's your birthday or something? I'm going going September 13th. I'm trying to read you, Katie. All right. Well, you got that one. You read me pretty well. Yes, so that was actually the date that the House released this updated legislation. So any gains that are incurred after that date will be effective at the new rate. That's fantastic. All right, I went one for three. And how do we find out some information if we want to know more about the tax firm that you guys acquired several months back? Yes, so anyone interested can reach out to me directly at my email, kvercio at evergreengovcal.com or visit our website at evergreengk.com. And GovCall is G-A-V-E-K-A-L. Evergreen GovCall is everything wealth. Unfiltered. That's need a base hit. You got JP's going to be flying from second. The base is loaded. Bowers well fouled down the third baseline. Biggest pitch of the year here for the Mariners. Three and two. Base is loaded. Seashack, the pitch. Base hit left field. Here comes JP. Bowers scores. JP scores. Mitch Heidegger. What a night. What a night. Episode 167, Mitch Unfiltered. You know, we've had so much fun. With the Seahawks no table, Joe and Brady 
I figured let's get another no table going. A Mariner's no table, a hot stove no table. Maybe uh, our two guests would call it a kind of warm stove so far. No table. Corey Brock, Mariner's insider, has always been nice to us from The Athletic. Hi, Corey. Mitch, how are you? Thank you for being back with us. And Jason Churchill now prospect insiders on our note table every time i turn around you gotta get jason churchill on when are you gonna get jason churchill on now either jason you've got a lot of active family members that are prodding me or you're paying a huge staff of employees to give mitch the business until we have jason churchill on which one is it I think you kind of nailed it. It's I'm paying family members <laughs> to uh, to get at you, and it, it seems like it worked. It, re- oh, be it, it really, really worked. So let's get to the Mariners, guys, and and we'll start with um, you. I, I think we should get both of your opinions on this question before we even start on what they do and what they're doing, what they might do, and that would be level of flukiness to 2021. Everybody seems to have an opinion on that. How legit? Were the Mariners and their a position to play for a spot on the final weekend, considering the statistics and the numbers and what they did over 162? Corey, your your personal opinion on the level of flukiness, zero to ten, ten being the highest, zero being the lowest. Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, late in the year, uh, probably in the final couple of weeks of the season, I wrote a story that was basically, um, are the Mariners good or are they lucky, or does it really matter? Because yeah, you know, at the end of the day, you're still playing a, you know, a game on the final day of the season to get into the postseason potentially. But the factors that got them there, uh, certainly there was a fluky and probably a non-sustainable aspect to their season. Uh, their record in one-run games, uh, their bullpen was uh, very, very good, exceptional. That lifted up a team who really had one of the worst offenses, if not the worst offense in all of baseball. So pretty remarkable that you're able to uh, win 90 games and stay relevant that long. Um, But, you know, as you roll into 2022 now, I think it's important for fans to kind of understand that, hey, there's more than just a couple of spots to fill here. They need to augment this roster, take this momentum. Uh, We saw those great crowds on the final weekend of the season. People will support a winner. Um, but it's incumbent upon them now to improve this team for next season. I didn't hear a zero to 10, Corey. Give me a number. Uh, seven. Seven. Jason? Yeah, I think it's hard to fall, you know, too far from what Corey was just talking about. And we even heard Jerry DePoto, you know, late in the year after the year was over talking about how, yeah, maybe there were some things that that we can't repeat that that weren't sustainable. But I really like the way Jerry put it he talked about efficiency and there are some things that that you can repeat and that's decision-making and things of that nature. So I, I'd also put a seven on it. And I think the important thing is that they continue to do those things that Jerry's talking about that, that, that did, you know, produce consistent results. They're just going to have to do it with better talent. Uh, so I think we saw some sustainable things like decision-making and the way they go about things, the way they apply data, uh, the way they, you know, apply shifts and things of that nature and the way they handle their, their bullpen, especially, but they're just going to have to have better players, you know, and uh, most of that comes at the plate. Now, boys, I know it's the holiday season, but the no table is going to be much better if you disagree every once in a while. No, no kumbaya here. No agreeing <laughs> on every little thing here that I ask. Corey, Deal. Um, 
You know, in trying to organize my thoughts and this segment, we could be all over the place with uh, what they may do, what they might not do. I think a good starting point would be to ask what the Mariners' projected lineup would be today, assuming they did nothing where we are right now, and then we can kind of build off of that and get your guys' feelings on what they need to do. I'm assuming that as of the moment, Corey, you stop me when I do something wrong. The outfield would be Hanniger, Kelnick, and Lewis as of today. Uh, the infield, probably white if healthy, or France at first. Crawford at short. I don't know what you're going to tell me at second and third. And then the catchers, Torrens, Raleigh, Murphy, I don't know. Uh, and then we'll get to the rotation. Where did I go wrong there? Well, you didn't really, but I don't know if you still have that old glove, Mitch, and you could play second or third. <laughs> I can, I can. <laughs> okay, good. Jason, you can handle the other spot. Um, yeah, you're not far off on some of these. There's some major question marks. Um, let's just subtract the the element of free agency and trading for players here internally, there's two major question marks going into spring training and that's Evan white and Kyle Lewis, both of whom missed quite a bit of the season with injuries. And, um, you know, it, we haven't seen a whole lot from either one of these guys. And I, I had this number in the top of my head, you know, Kyle Lewis rookie of the year. Wonderful. He is still yet to play 120 big league games. So I don't think we, any of us could say definitively what he's going to be. So Evan white gold glove defender. Um, he hasn't hit, so they're not going to hold openings for these guys waiting for them to come around. They're, they're not in that position anymore. They have to sort of, these guys have to prove themselves to be healthy in spring training and win jobs on this opening day roster through performance. If not, um, you know, I won't say the ship has sailed on those two, but the Mariners, again, if for 2022, where they want to go and really think that where they can be, they can't wait for these two. They have to, these guys have to earn their jobs. Before we get back to Jason, Corey, did you not write something in the athletic? I ring the bell about Evan White trying the outfield out which really yep. is is startling to me just because of how many years we we spent talking about how great of a defensive first baseman for them to give up on that would be a hearty uh, a hearty issue for them right well yes and I think that's twofold um, they're not giving up on him as a first baseman they're trying to increase his versatility this is a it's something that's of paramount importance to the Mariners that you could have some interchangeable parts that can move around the field. Um, he's still a young enough player um, that he's got time to figure this out. But Mitch, the bottom line is he has to hit. He has to hit to make this team and to have a future in this organization. And so far to this point, he hasn't shown it. Do we care, Jason, that they signed him to that contract a few years ago? Does that mean anything here? I think it does a little bit. I, I think it suggests that either they may try to do something with that contract at some point, but it, you know, it, I think the most important thing is it's it, the contract isn't large enough uh, considering all the flexibility Jerry and, and folks have created over the last couple of years with the payroll starting this upcoming season and moving forward. And it's, it, it's barely a, a blip on the radar at, at this point, but I, I do think it, it, you know, it is some level of commitment to the player. And, and while it, you certainly don't want to give up on them, no matter what the dollars are, uh, maybe you hang on to, to white a little longer, you know, and, and give him extra chances. And, and Corey nailed it. He has to hit or the outfield thing doesn't matter either. I mean, it, who cares if he's versatile, if he can't hit two thirty? you know, yeah, I, this yeah. is a guy who's played what about a half a season right. uh, at the big league level. Right. 
Yeah. I haven't shown any consistency whatsoever. Uh, Evan White's a huge question mark. I don't expect to see him in the big leagues for a good portion of 2022. If, if not the entire season, I mean, we may get to September and we haven't seen Evan White. Jason, if we were starting tomorrow and they weren't making any changes, what would be the rotation? Gonzalez, Flexen, Gilbert, and two other guys, somebody else. I guess Anderson's a free agent. You got Dunn, you got Sheffield. I think you guys are going to tell me the same thing about those guys. We don't know what they are yet. Where are we, Jason, on the rotation? Yeah, I think it has to be two guys that aren't in the organization right now. I don't even think you can go into the season thinking, well, we have Matt Brash and we have Brandon Williamson and we have George Kirby. If you're expecting to compete, and I'm not suggesting that the Mariners are planning on going in as a 95 to 100 win team and taking over the Astros, you know, from the get go, obviously you know, that's got to be part of the goal. But you look at that rotation and, and if you're counting on two kids who haven't thrown a pitch at triple a, let alone the big league level to step in and, and throw impact innings for you from the start. And it certainly doesn't sound like they are uh, it, your plan. Isn't to win in, in, in 2022. It's another developmental year. So they're gonna have to go outside the organization and find a couple of answers. And, it, and it'd be nice if they found somebody who kind of fit toward the front of that rotation, because right now, who's your guy, who's the guy that, can go up against Justin Verlander and give you a shot to win most times out. Who's the guy that can go up against Garrett Cole and give you a chance to win? It doesn't have to be a Cy Young candidate, but they need somebody who sometimes can go out there and give you six, seven, eight, strike out eight or 10, limit the the contact and, and give them a chance to win against okay. other clubs, number one and number two starters. Okay. They don't have that guy right now. Okay. And so Corey, give me a couple of names that we should watch out for in the coming weeks and months who could be that guy would that be a trade piece that they bring back or would that be a free agent that they go and sign it could be both and it may end up being both because um you know the the free agent market i wouldn't say it's flush with starting pitching but there are quite a few options on there that will work for what jason's talking about exactly maybe a guy like marcus stroman uh, who has a history of logging a lot of innings. Maybe you plug him in there. Um, maybe you make a trade. We've seen that the Reds are already uh, slashing their payroll dramatically. Maybe you make a run at Luis Castillo, who I think would be fabulous here. This guy is a, a stud. If you take away his first six weeks of last season, uh, he's really good. He's under control, I believe, for another year or two. Now, that's going to involve doing the one thing the Mariners – don't want to do and that's trading their prospects but you don't have to trade your high tier guys maybe you take on a bad contract to even that out maybe you take on mike moustakis for the rest of his deal i think everything's on the table here and i wouldn't suspect you know kind of as jason said you don't have to go out and give kevin gossman um you know, blow the market out of the water. I think there's enough good pitching there to fill out that rotation and also um what it will do and Jason talked about the three guys, uh, Matt Brash, Brandon Williamson, George Kirby. It will allow them a little bit more development time, and they will let you know when they're ready rather than you saying, hey, we really need to lean on these guys on April 1st. Corey, how about the Oakland A's situation? I keep reading that they're kind of in flux. We hear about Vegas and sites in Vegas for a new stadium, all kinds of issues, and there's some, uh, there's some sentiment around the league that they might be willing to part especially with some of those pitchers now, you know, I'm old fashioned. Do you trade in the division? Do they care about that stuff anymore? Teams don't care about that anymore. It's all about improving your own product and, you know, what happens with this other group, because if you end up sending them some prospects, 
these are guys that maybe won't be able to help the A's for a while. And I'll be curious to hear what Jason thinks about this, but I think Frankie Montas and, or Chris Bassett, probably Bassett a little bit harder to have, but maybe not. I think Montas is really, really good. If you can somehow make a run at either one of those guys, I think you really have to look into it. Jason. Yeah, I like Montas. He's got a couple of years left. Uh, I really don't like the idea of Sean Manai or Chris Bassett, just because generally when you, you trade for guys entering their walk year, that other team makes you pay for the opportunity to get the walk year performance, to get the draft pick compensation. If you're going to tender them the qualifying offer at the end of the year, you end up paying, you know, 110 cents on the dollar, 120 cents on the dollar, sometimes more depending on the player. But Montas is a little bit of a different story. The A's though, and, and Corey, I'd be interested to get your take on this. The A's are a little different. They've always done things differently. Sometimes they do take bulk in a deal. They've actually been criticized for that before they continue to just kind of beat to their own drum. They they, they might take bulk instead of just demanding top dollar. So maybe there's a deal to be made, even though it's in the division for a Sean Manai or Chris Bassett that, you know, doesn't suggest that, that Jerry Depoto overpaid to get him in here in their walk year. Well, and I think, um, and I've been saying this for a while and it's no knock on the kid. I almost feel bad doing it, but in every trade scenario, when I talk about trading prospects, I start with Brandon Williamson because I think he is a guy that would be valued by every organization, including the Mariners. I mean, this is not to say they don't like him, but I think as you line these guys up potentially for the big leagues, it's probably brash Kirby Williamson, in that order, Hancock certainly a little bit behind because of some injury stuff last year. But um, yeah, you're going to have to you're going to have to pay a little bit. But maybe you're right, Jason. Maybe you start with Brandon Williamson and include Cade Marlowe, who led the minors in RBIs this year, and then a few other uh, decent prospects. I don't see anything wrong with that. Let's go back for a second, uh, Corey, to Kyle Lewis. We saw the shortened season rookie of the year, but we've also seen that bookended by lots and lots of injuries. I think the Julio Rodriguez story kind of goes hand in hand with the Kyle Lewis issue in the way that when is Rodriguez going to be ready? Where is he going to play when he is ready? And does that afford you? I don't know what you could get on the open market. Do teams around the league value Kyle Lewis? Would they would they trade something really good or a couple of good pieces for Kyle Lewis if the Mariners were willing to cut eight? Only if he proves he's healthy, and you know, let's say he has a strong spring. And I don't think uh, I don't think the possibility of Julio Rodriguez. Uh, blowing this team away in spring training, kind of like a young outfielder did, I believe, in the spring of 1989 <laughs> and coming out of nowhere, which wouldn't be the case with Julio. But, I, it, you know, he's going to be in the big leagues in 2022. We know that. He is really, really, really good. And I wouldn't be surprised at all. I quit putting limitations on him because he seems to surpass them. I wouldn't be surprised if he won a job in spring training. Now, certainly a little bit more time in the minor leagues would not hurt him at all. But uh, yeah, is his future kind of linked to Kyle Lewis? Maybe a little bit. Lewis's future may be linked to Julio, you know, but again, this all has to start with being healthy and being productive. And that's what they need most out of Kyle Lewis. Jason uh, Churchill, let's go back to the free agent market amongst infielders. And, and let me ask you this question, because I don't see a lot of power coming from the left-handed side of the plate. 
a lot of run producing from the left-handed side of the plate for the Mariners. How big of an issue is that for Jerry to address? Maybe it's not. And then kind of segue to Simeon and Taylor and Escobar and Harry, and all these guys, Chris Bryan and Matt Duffy, all these guys that I pick up the athletic and I read about every single day of my offseason. What about those things? Yeah, I think the hand in this thing, it is it is a little bit of an issue. We've heard Jerry talk about hand is you do want balance, uh, especially in that ballpark. You don't want to give on having left-handed pop, and they were probably a little short of it you know, this year. And with, with Kyle Seeger being gone, you know, the, the, they're shorter than they were a year ago. So uh, it, it, I guess around the infield, you're going to have a hard time finding a left-handed slugging third baseman, a left-handed slugging second baseman. So if you want to add that, it might have to be at the D8 spot or the outfield spot or a combination of the two. And, the, and I've been mentioning Michael Conforto all offseason. You might be able to get him on a short deal, whether it be one year, you know, he's from the area. Uh, you know, Redmond High School, uh, Oregon State thought the Mariners were going to draft him, uh, you know, seven, eight years ago, and they didn't. Uh, I just wonder if th- there might not be a match there and he might be able to provide Let me some jump of that in. left-handed power. Let me jump in with a follow-up question. When you do that, don't you then hurt your flexibility? Don't you then have to play Ty France in the field? Don't you now have to get Torrens into the field? If you acquire a DH left-handed bat, you then push yourself in a quarter to get those other bats into the lineup, no? I think in Conforto specifically, you're adding an outfielder. And okay. that just allows you to, and the kind of the way I think about this is there are 162 games in a season. Nobody should be playing 162 games. And really nobody should be playing 155 games. Uh, although somebody like JP Crawford is probably going to, because he's so valuable defensively uh, and, and seems to be able to handle it. You know, he, he yeah. certainly did this year. Yeah. Um, first baseman tend to play 150 games a little more than everybody else. So if you're taking eight, 10, 12 days off from all three outfield spots, uh, first base and DH, there's plenty of the bats okay. to go around. And if you added a Conforto, he can play the outfield, he can play left, he can play right. He's even played center. And while he's not necessarily good there, they don't have a whole lot of other options there. So it, at least if he's one of those options in center field, he might be able to help kind of fill the gap there, whether that's a combo in, with Kyle Lewis or somebody else that they pick up, or whether it's Jared Kelnick and Michael Conforto, or there's three or four players that fill that. Um, but that might free them a little bit to just go and get the best guy at second base, whether it be Story or Semyon or the best guy at third base, regardless of handedness. But uh, it, it's been my opinion all offseason and really since the season was uh, was still rolling along that ignoring the outfield is a mistake. We don't know what Jared Kelnick's going to be able to give them. And, and the bar has been raised on Jared Kelnick on what he can do to ultimately stay in the lineup all year. And in fact, with Julio Rodriguez, once he comes up, the bar is raised. Julio Rodriguez can't go out there and hit a buck 80 for six weeks. Not if the team is, is planning to win. Um, it'd be very difficult to imagine a scenario where Rodriguez and or Kellenic are really struggling offensively for extended periods of time. And the Mariners are still winning consistently. I mean, I guess you could build a dream scenario where you added Chris Bryant at third base and semi in at second. And maybe you went out and got Nelson Cruz at DH or whatever it is. Maybe you can cover that up for a little while. That's just really difficult to imagine. I, those guys have to hit to, to some level, and you can't really dip back down to what Kelnick did this year. Something's going to have to give, so you're going to need veterans like a Conforto, even some bench types that are out there on the market that might be able to fill in while he's struggling. Corey Brock of The Athletic. Should we forget about Simeon? Everybody wants to talk about Simeon. I mean, how much is that going to cost the Mariners on a multi-year deal to get that guy 
Should we uh, should we start talking about Chris Taylor again? Does Chris Bryant have anything left at third base? What about some of these free agent infielders in your estimation, Corey? I like all three of those guys, to be honest with you. And I would put Simeon at the top of the list because uh, they need to lengthen this lineup. And this is a guy who had a monster year, really. He got MVP votes, uh, hit at home and on the road. This you know wasn't a product of you know, hitting 50 home runs in Buffalo when they were playing half their season there. This guy is really good, and he can help them. They need offense. I mean, again, the numbers last year were stunningly bad. Um, the strikeout rate scares me um, with some of these guys in the lineup, and that's why I, I get a little gun-shy about Taylor. But then again, he walks as well, and he adds versatility, which the Mariners like. So, you know, I, I think there's room – Oh, you asked about contract. Well, you know, Simeon's not going to cost you anywhere near what Carlos Correa is going to get. Oh, of course. Um, yeah. But however, you you may have to be comfortable with going an extra year for Simeon to get him to come here. And, you know, here's, here's the thing about free agents, Mitch, and I know you know this and Jason certainly knows this, but some fans, I think, seem to forget that it takes two to tango. The player has to want to come here. This isn't just about the Mariners being interested in guys and making offers, it's got to be reciprocated. And, you know, there's some pluses for playing in Seattle. There's also some minuses. These guys fly more air miles than anybody else in baseball. I know that may sound trivial, but if you're spending half of six months on an airplane, uh, it gets kind of tough. So it's going to take the right match. But again, it may require something of an overpay, but I think they absolutely have to do it. All right, let's end this. And this is great. You guys are so good. I'm going to ask you to come back every single day for the next year. Jason and, Cor- <laughs> Jason and Corey, let's end this. What does the Mariners organization have to do this offseason to convince us, us fans, that this is legit and we should start coming out to the ballpark at the beginning of the year? Instead of waiting, and maybe you're going to tell me there's nothing they can do to get us to come out in droves at the beginning. We're just going to have to see it to believe it. Let's start with you, Jason. What do the Mariners, what's the the floor uh, as to what the Mariners have to do? I think they have to land a big name to convince a lot of fans. Uh, And it might be two, uh, although I think that might be a little bit unrealistic. And I think in addition to that big name, whether it's Trevor Story or Marcus Semyon or Chris Bryant or somebody along those lines, I think there have to be several additions to the roster and that, that fans recognize that it's not a nobody that's, you know, and, and while I like Abraham Toro and think he can play and might develop into a guy who can, you know, warrant 500 at bats, it has to be somebody that, that the casual fan, the average fan can go, like Oh me. yeah. Like me. Oh yeah. I know yeah. that guy. Yeah. And, and we've seen him perform and we've seen him uh, do it at the big league level. And I think that's what it's going to take. You address everything that you've talked about instead of striking out, you'll get fans to start believing in this, but I do think at least one big name has to be part of it to convince the, the folks out there. Corey, you want to add something to that? I would say two words, spend money. I think that will show the intent of this ownership group, how serious they truly are about winning. This is an organization that really doesn't have a deep history of opening up the pocketbook. Robinson Cano. I go back to when I was uh, helping cover the Mariners uh, for the news tribune and they signed Adrian Beltre and Richie Sexton on consecutive weeks. They spent money then and they were serious. Um, they're now, I won't say they back themselves into a corner, but, you know, through their 
uh, money-saving procedures they've gone through during this rebuild. They've constantly said they would spend when the time is right. They've said this winter they will spend to add talent. They, they more or less, they have to do it now. Otherwise, you're going to you're going to lose this fan base. Corey, you do a fantastic job for The Athletic. I know it's tough to get you away from those two boys. Thank you so much for being on our first ever installment of the Mariners Note Table. I hope you'll do it again. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Thanks to Jason, too. Jason, great. you're the Thanks, best. I, 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 now I see what I've been missing all this time. Come back again on Mitch Unfiltered. Thank you, Jason. You got it. Thanks for having me. Let's catch up with the Zeke's Pizza president, Dapper Dan Black, who joins us back on the Zeke's Pizza hotline. How are we doing, Dan? How are Zeke's Pizzas doing? Well, obviously, I'm looking good, given my nickname. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, no, and Zeke's is doing well. Post-COVID, it's fun being open, having dining rooms open again. Pickup and delivery is still going good. People are ordering pizza, they're ordering beer. So, yeah, it's fun. You know, Kraken fever is at a high, high pitch Everybody's loving the Kraken. Everybody's loving Climate Pledge Arena. And the first ever location that I went to of Zeke's was that Belltown location. I would imagine that's a good spot pre and post game Kraken. Yes? Oh, yeah. It's been awesome. We love the Kraken, uh, especially at that spot. You know, you mentioned the Belltown restaurant. It's got a great bar. I mean, it's like we always talk about. We have a really awesome Pacific Northwest beer list. But we've got cocktails, wine everything you want in a full beer. So yeah, that location has been really lively before the game, the restaurant and bars packed out and then post game as well. We stay open late on Kraken nights. And so the bar fills up after the games. People just want to keep the party going and and we're happy to do it with them. It's now, fun. You, now you told us about Spokane the last time you were on the show. What are we doing? we got a couple of newbies coming to Western Washington, I understand. Yeah, we're swinging hammers in Spokane. It's getting close. Uh, but then, yeah, we got a couple on the west side here, too, that are that are within striking distance. Uh, Mill Creek up north uh, is going to be coming online relatively soon. And then White Center as well, closer into the city. And, yeah, we expect them both to be really fun. The one in White Center is right in with Beer Star and stuff. So it's going to be a really cool location. And what's the Black family holiday choice in terms of orders? Yeah, for whatever reason, when it gets cold, we start to go a little bit more spicy on our end. So we're still drinking those fresh hop IPAs, so lateral A. But then the pizzas we're ordering that go good with them are the Cherry Bomb and the Dragon, which are kind of two of our classics. Both got a little kick to them. So nice. that's what we've been ordering. Gotta love Zeke's Pizza. Great partner of mine going back to the radio days. And Dan Black has been incredibly kind to us. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. We call this uh, segment Slick Hawk. We call the, I can call you Slick Hawk, even though you wouldn't put it on the back of your jersey, right? Yes, you can call yeah. me Slick Hawk, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> we call this the other stuff segment. It's when you and I get together. We go back and forth. Normally, it's Hot Shot and I. We go back and forth with little stuff that's happening in the world and sports, non-sports, whatever interests you in life. Would you like to start or would you like me to start? Uh, you can start. You this want me is, to start? This is your deal. You start it. Duckies, you got a comment? Mm. Okay, you can't start. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? Oh, it was just gross. It was gross. Did anybody I mean, see that coming? Is Utah that good? I didn't even watch the game. Uh, what happened? I just... Well, the whole game was going to hinge upon wh what happened with, with both teams' running games. And if, if Oregon was able to stop Utah from running the football, felt like it was going to go pretty well for Oregon. They did not. Uh, Utah ran right down their throat the whole game, and, and Oregon had no answer. Oregon's not a team that's built to necessarily come from behind like that. And so, yeah, Utah just, I mean, gave it to them. 
gave it to them Damn. to the duckies. So so now what happens with the North? Obviously they're they're done for the uh, Final Four, but what happens right. with the North? Can they still? Win uh, the North? So they got the beefs. Yeah, they can still win the North. Play Utah again oh. here uh, in in Vegas. <laughs> Try to would figure be, their shit out. Would there be a different outcome if they played Utah again in Vegas? Like if I was going to go bet that game at the Snoqualmie Casino, what would you tell me to do? I mean, not from what I saw. No. What, what's going to change? I don't know. You're not you're not going to rebuild your entire front seven in in two weeks. So. And the dogs lost to. Colorado? Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. Not just lost, but, I mean, you go out there, you dominate. Dominated the game. Washington dominates Colorado in every statistical category except the score, which I guess that's an important one. Ron Fairley would tell you. uh, It's the team that that scores the most that's going to win the the ballgame. So, uh, yeah, not good there either. And and that leaves me wondering. It kind of transitions into what I wanted to, to bring up, which is, this Apple Cup now that, that oh, they're going to play on Friday. Week. Yeah. Yeah. How much does it have the same juice? We got two interim head coaches, two programs that are kind of floundering. Definitely, Definitely If not. you're a Coug, I guess you're saying it has all the elements you want because this is your first chance at winning one in like eight years. But yeah, definitely not. If you're a Husky fan, yeah, you're, you're saying this. What is this? There'll be nobody there. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just guessing. There'll be a lot, yeah. of, a lot of people that will be dressed as empty seats <laughs> at Husky Stadium. I, staying I home, I, staying I, home, uh, eating extra pie. I can't. Although the Cougars, uh, I, I understand that there is a is there a scenario where the Cougars could still win the North? Yeah, a bunch of things there happen? is. Yeah. yeah, Oregon. I think would have to lose to Oregon State in the formerly known Civil War. And then yeah, and then Some if the Cougars stuff, win yeah. the Apple Cup, then yeah. I guess they could win the North still. So yeah. yeah. It, the possibility does exist. Well, the Cougars are having a good season. You can't take that away from them, and, and especially when you consider that they're doing it without a head coach. They've yeah. still found a way to win some games and keep themselves relevant and stay stay afloat and get into a bowl game. So good for the Cougars. Yeah, the dogs. Yeah, yeah. We need some we need some good inspiring news if you're a dogs fan. And <laughs> New Heisel on his segment, you heard him say it. Those that listen to that segment, he thinks it's got to be. You got to throw everything you can, every sales pitch you can at Chris Peterson to come back and let him be the coach of Washington again. So, Ooh, does we'll he want to do that? That's the question. That's, but you, yeah, you have to convince him. Yeah. For an Oregon fan, that's that's a nightmare scenario. Right. Um, <laughs> what do you got over there on your list? Since we talked about Oregon, speaking of Oregon, have you yes. been following the story now of the ESPN production trucks? So they sent their worst production crew cutting corners left and right to uh, last week's Pac-12 After Dark game between Washington State uh, and Oregon. If you watch that game, it's hardly what I would call HD. The colors were off, just as low quality of broadcast that they could ever put on john canzano he did a whole he like he did a deep dive into it and found out <laughs> found out all the corners that they've been cutting and really? they've been doing this for years setting yeah. it they call it their e-broadcast less Ooh. equipment Ooh. less trucks no on-site producer and uh, espn actually got a lot of backlash um from the article and so it it turned out the Oregon Washington State game was the most viewed late night game since 2018. Nearly two million viewers tuned in to watch that garbage production, and so ESPN has come out and they said, "We're sorry, Pac-12, we're not going to do it to you anymore." Well, I have a reaction to that, and I think it's a pretty simple reaction, which is shame on the Pac-12 and the commissioner that came out of the office. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if the new commissioner is at a point in his relationship with ESPN yet. Shame on the Pac-12 for allowing that to happen. They should yeah. put their foot down. 
Larry Scott should have never allowed that to happen. They should have called ESPN and said, "Listen, don't don't treat our don't treat our our product like a secondhand citizen and 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 you know throwing a little weight around exactly. with ESPN. Obviously, obviously, Pac-12, the Pac-12 conference allowed themselves to be stepped on. In Just like cases. they allow themselves their games to be preempted by truck races, as you've seen, it's happened before. Just right. all these things and. Right. And the, the conference championship taking place on a Friday, late Friday night, it's happened before. Terrible. So it's 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 not good. That, and that's, I mean, you would hope that those are the things that George Klyovkov, that's what he's here to fix. Yeah, yeah. We don't, we don't need a partner that's sending the e-truck yeah. uh, to our late night games. All right, exactly. here's, I got one for you. Okay. I know that you know about this because you tweeted it out and I tweeted it out. How about the little video that, that greeted yes. us on Sunday uh, of Tiger Woods hitting little uh, wedges or short irons behind his house to show that uh, progress is being made and he's coming around a little bit more physically. How about that? Wasn't that nice? That was nice. If there's one thing, I mean, after this craptastic weekend that was football in the Northwest, uh, one thing that's going to make it better, that video, a little 10 seconds, Tiger Woods looks like he's hitting either a nine iron or a wedge. And it's not much. It's one shot. uh, But seeing that and just because, you know, we thought, God, he's never going to play golf again. We thought he might. Remember at the time that morning, we didn't know what happened to Tiger Woods. We didn't know he was going to make it. That's right. So the fact that he's even talking about playing golf again, that that is such a that that makes me feel really good. Well, the first question was when we heard about the the, the tragic accident in California was, is he going to survive it? Mm -hmm. And then once we knew he was going to survive it, the question became, will he ever walk again? He had such significant leg injuries. And then the question became, will he ever be able to play with his kids and do fatherly stuff with his his daughter and his son again based on the injuries? And, And then the question graduated to, will he ever be able to play golf again? And then finally, the question becomes, will he ever be able to play golf at a level where he'd be able to go out and play with these guys at his age and his condition on the PGA Tour? So a lot of those questions are yes, 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 <laughs> yes. And now he's swinging. A go- he can clearly play golf again. We're watching that video. doesn't? Yeah. And it's smooth. It's very yeah. silky smooth. It's, the swing is smooth. It look good. So it, look good. It, it might just be that we do see him out there at the Masters one or two more oh, times. Wouldn't that be great? God, I hope so. That'd I hope so. Anyway. I really hope. Anyway. Randy Mueller. <laughs> yes. So he's not into the whole Russell Wilson thing. Yes. So do you expect now that Randy Mueller is going to run out to the theater to watch the movie National Champions with executive producer Russell Wilson? My guess is no. now, let, 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 now we're going to laugh and we're going to joke. And first of all, I don't even know what that movie is. I saw little bits and you have to explain to me what that is. But let, let me let me defend my man, Randy Mueller, please, because he's been called a racist. He's been called a dinosaur. He's been called a lot of different things. Randy Mueller, simply put, didn't love all the hype around the rehab around the recovery, around the return, around the trips to the doctor's office and the pins and the the highlights of him working out. He just didn't like all of that. It was a little much. It was a little self-serving for him. He was always about, Randy Mueller was, it's always about the team and the clubhouse and not any individuals. Having said that, 
Randy Mueller likes Russell Wilson. Randy sure. Mueller thinks that Russell Wilson is a Hall of Fame quarterback and still has got a lot of great games uh, ahead of him. Please, let's not – and I'm not saying you are. I'm just making – this is a uh, uh, a public service <laughs> announcement. Please, let's not make Randy Mueller's comments about – the hype machine and the social media around his recovery any more than it actually was. That's what it was. And I don't think Randy Mueller is alone. I think a lot of people, and as it's gone on, I'm sure people have grown tired of of all of that with Russell Wilson. Right. And of course, as time has gone too, he's doing more and more and more away from the football field and in media and social media. Now, executive producer of this movie what is which it? actually what is the movie it doesn't look I horrible know. i what mean is, Jay, is so it? jk simmons he plays a coach it's it's about what it's about as a team fictional? A, a national championship caliber college football team fictional it, yeah fictional okay. fictional yeah. but based on current times and there's a player who decides he's going to boycott the national championship he's scheduled to play in uh because ncaa is making all this money around it and the players aren't getting paid. And so that's what it's about. And it creates this whole stir and everything. That's what the movie's about. So it looks interesting. I'll watch it. So the Russell Wilson, of course, has so, a cameo in it. So the Russell Wilson umbrella now is flourishing to executive producer of major motion pictures, right? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Good yeah. for him. I mean, Good. you see, you know, I mean, you see LeBron. LeBron has done that. Yeah. And, you know, Russell Wilson wants to be this mogul, this everything guy. So, yeah. yeah. I got one for you. Um, yeah. And it goes back to the Seahawks. Did we really need to read the report and find out that the Seahawks made the most aggressive early offer to OBJ? Now that OBJ <laughs> is a Ram and he's now there two weeks and it didn't work out with the Seahawks, isn't it a little irritating to have to read the report? Oh, yes. the Seahawks were first in line and they got there first and their offer was the best and it was the most. I, I really, it's like a kick in the gut. I really don't want to hear that. I don't need to know any of that information. Well, that's the most Mariners-y uh, <laughs> news story that I, I think I could have read in, in oh, terms yeah. of Odell Beckham. But yeah. it's happening more and more. Doesn't it seem like they're after a guy, they're in on a guy, they yes. made a really great initial offer uh. and then, ah! Got outbid. Like missed it by. Where's the where's the the strong second? Yeah, yeah. Where's the strong second <laughs> offer? Third offer. Maxwell Smart missed it by. <laughs> Go ahead, Slickhawk. Missed it by that much. much. That's right. Yeah, I don't. I don't really yeah. need to know that. I just want to mention. I I I don't need to know that story. That story irritates me yeah. for whatever reason. Don't want to know about it. I've got two more. Yes. Um. Hard knocks. In season hard knocks. Are oh. you a hard knocks? Are you a hard knocks person? Never saw it. And you've never seen any hard knocks. I know of it. It's on HBO, and it's, it's so uh, good. It's it's behind the scenes in a yeah. in an exhibition season of a team, mm -hmm. right? They pick an NFL team and they yes. follow them. Yeah, I yeah, I have not really watched it though. Oh, it's so good! And they started just this last week with the Indianapolis Colts. They're doing an in-season hard wow. knocks as the season's going along. They picked it up with last week with the Colts and and the Jags. And so as, you know, the Colt, they had a big game this week against Buffalo, right? And they, so huh. they're going to chronicle that. Oh, 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 sorry. Jonathan uh, Taylor, yes. <laughs> yes I'm right. aware, yeah. <laughs> five, five touchdowns. Five. Um, and so you're going to see each one of them on Hard Knocks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I will continue not to watch Hard Knocks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's, it's, it's crazy well done. I thought the, the offseason one the, that they did with the Cowboys was really good. I just I, I can't get enough of this stuff. I'm surprised that a team would let them in so during the regular season. Isn't that a distraction? No. 
Apparently not. The Colts. The Colts are looking good, especially uh, on Sunday. <laughs> okay. On the ground. What else you got on your list, Slick? Uh, last, last thing. Okay. So, what is the weirdest pregame ritual you have ever heard of? You you had to have heard. Uh, I mean, you've interviewed uh, all kind of athletes: yeah. Mariners, Seahawks. Hugh Millen, <laughs> well, yeah. you must have heard of some either secondhand or maybe firsthand pregame rituals. There's got to be something. I don't know if there's been unusual ones. There's been like um, like certain meals that they eat. There's I, I remember there were a couple of baseball players who used to tell me they'd come out and warm up at exactly the same time on the scoreboard. It'd have to be exact. Mm-hmm. The scoreboard would have to read an exact time for them to come out. I'm probably just not thinking straight because you're asking me on the off the top of my head. I don't have any. Why? What do you What do you got over there? What are you leaving well, Craig, me? Well, Craig Carton. You know who he is. He had went the to big national. Sh- oh, did you? Okay. Yeah, so he, then you definitely. He was know a him. schoolmate of mine. He was a, a radio station <laughs> mate of mine in the 1980s at Syracuse University. Know him well. Yes. Well, just after Syracuse, a few years after Syracuse, early in his broadcast career, he was at WWE in Cleveland, where he covered the Cleveland Indians, now named Guardians. Yeah. When he was in the locker room one time, uh, Charles Nagy, who pitched for Cleveland, Remember said, him. hey, Craig, sure. Craig, come in here, come down to the locker room. You got to see this. So he takes him down into the locker room uh, by where the trainer's room is. Okay. As they get closer you can hear this loud banging, almost like almost like banging on a drum, like oh. every second, oh. bang, bang. Yeah. And so as they get closer, they start, they come up on Carlos Baerga. Oh yeah. And in his hand, he's got, so if he's big Baerga, in his hand, he's got little Baerga. Yeah. And, <laughs> and he's standing in front of those, you know, like the doctor's stools, the round, the circular doctor's stools. Yeah. And he's slamming it into the stool, oh. <laughs> like beating it like a drum. I thought I was going to get away from these stories when Hotshot decided to miss I, I had to continue the legacy. And I know, and this was his pregame ritual. Oh, I know that if Hotshot were here, he'd have a thousand puns. I can't do all that. Okay. I will just say yes. that with this ritual, yes. Carlos Baerga that season yes. hit 321 oh, with geez. 21 home runs oh, and 114 RBIs. He was the best hitter that year in the American League and is the only player on record to win a silver slugger Thanks to his little slugger. <laughs> there you go. You did it. <laughs> there it is. There's oh, the Hot shot will be proud of you. So you're telling me, did this go on his entire career? Was Carlos Baerga pounding his little <laughs> his little Baerga up against the stool his I entire career? Oh god. I don't know. This was like ninety-five somewhere at some time around then. Okay. I have we also do so are you finished now? Yeah, that's All that's right, my that's whole it. list. All right, we we also we also typically do at the end of the show an RIP, if we have somebody in the sports or music or entertainment or just anybody interesting who who uh, passed away mm-hmm. since the last. And I got one for you. I want to say uh, rest in peace to Peter Buck, who um, who passed away at the age of ninety. Let me tell you a little bit about Peter Buck. Okay, you don't know him by name, but you are. You are probably intimately familiar with his creation. Okay. All right. All right. In 1965, a guy named Peter Buck, who was a nuclear physicist at the time, had a uh, had a family friend, a young man named Fred DeLuca, 
who was going to college. He was a college freshman, this family friend, and he was trying to raise money, trying to figure out a way to raise money to pay for his college or do a business and whatever. And and Buck gave Fred DeLuca $1,000 to start a submarines store, <laughs> a sub shop, and they called it Peter's Super Submarines, Peter Buck. Mm-hmm. Fred DeLuca, a college freshman, took the $1,000. They opened it in Bridgeport, Connecticut. By 1974, they owned 16 shops in Connecticut. And now, present day, 40,000 locations worldwide called Subway. <laughs> Peter Buck's $1,000 investment in 1965 is currently worth... $1.7 billion with a B dollars in 2021. Peter Buck passed away this week at the age of 90. And I, this is not a shot at the triple XL that you're wearing in the sweater. <laughs> my guess is that you've been to Subway. We I know have. a lot of people go to Subway. My, my son loves Subway. My both sons love Subway. Are you yeah. a Subway guy? Or do you have a, a go-to oh, order been, at Subway? I've, yeah, uh, it's always the Italian BMT, the big meaty tasty. <laughs> That's the one. There you go. With extra Southwest sauce. Southwest yes, sauce. What comes yeah. on the, the big, the BMT? Uh, but you got uh, your Black Forest ham. You got your salami, <laughs> a couple different kinds of cheeses, lettuce. You tomato, are part of the reason that the one thousand dollars has become one point seven billion dollars. I contributed. <laughs> yes, you did, and so did I. So there you go. Rest in peace to Peter Buck at age ninety. So how do you how do you feel? The show's over. One sixty. Yeah. I'm about to ring the bell. We've got our we've got our new Kraken authentic jerseys that we're both yes, wearing. We we're yes. giving uh, we're giving two hundred of our patrons or. Whatever I don't know. Maybe they'll buy more than one. We're get, we've got two hundred of these things that we're selling to patrons with a huge discount. Do you have anything last things? Happy Thanksgiving. Do you have any Thanksgiving plans you want to share with us? Yeah, yeah. Weekend? We're just gonna pop down to Oregon. You're gonna see the see the family okay. down there. Very uh, good. So it'll be a good time. We've <laughs> so we started this tradition. Now it started last year. We're just gonna roll with it. We don't do turkey anymore. Neither neither of us really oh, love turkey. Really, prime rib. Prime oh. rib for Thanksgiving. So we're going to make that happen very, very nice. and uh, see the folks. So, well, yeah. happy Thanksgiving to you and thank Amy you. and to your family, okay? And, and thanks you, for being with you as well. Uh, thank you. And th- thanks for being with us here on episode 167. He, he went ahead and he filled in very admirably the big shoes. He even threw the one-liner in at the end. <laughs> Carlos Baerga, ladies and gentlemen, makes a, uh, makes a rare Mitch Unfiltered appearance. 167 now is in the books. <laughs>